Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. How are you this evening? Or uh, how are you this Saturday afternoon? Uh, Saturday evening. I, uh, I, that was pretty good, but uh, not quite my tempo. Let, let, let's take it from the top there. <laughs> And joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. How are you? Um, it's a very good Saturday evening, uh, and it's very uh, good uh, to uh, see uh, you. Just, uh, it, it's okay. It's okay. Just just not quite there. Let's just, let's just try it again. It's hilarious, bitch. My co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. How are, how are, how are you? Like, my, my uh, normal uh, speech, this feels, uh, <laughs> this feels pretty natural. I feel like I'm a dragger. Um, Not a rusher. No, no. As listeners have hopefully gathered already, uh, we are talking about the t- the 2014 movie Whiplash. They've tuned out already. <laughs> they have. They've already turned off the podcast. Don't, but joke's on them because we already, got the, we, we, we already got that listen. Uh, but we have a guest. We a do. Guest we have a, great a, fan- guest. a fantastic guest. Uh, the it can wonderful- only get better from here. It can indeed. It's all uphill or downhill, whichever one is better slash easier. The fantastic Richard Drum. How are you, Richard? Hello. Uh, dare one say I'm jazzed for the occasion? Is that a sufficiently terrible pun yeah. for this podcast? Well, I mean, your name is Richard Drum and you did pick a movie about drumming. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. There is no... I mean, uh. we... Oh, I might just leave this right now. That's, I hadn't even thought of that. that that's upsetting. That's what I actually. thought. That's what I thought the grand reason or logic was behind the choice. I thought it was like a... I, I base films I like on the things that have my name in them. Yeah, I thought you were setting up the nice segue. You know, we're trying to drum up some enthusiasm for this episode. Darren, Darren watches like uh, Wall Street Two. Mooney never sleeps. Um, and um, <laughs> what else? You know, uh, I mean, I, th- I think Mooney, this is going to be Mooney a really train. great. What about you, Andrew? Are you a big fan of? Uh... The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harleen Quinn's album? I'm 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 a fan of this movie because there's an Andrew in it. Um, <laughs> that, that is that is how we gauge. Uh, people like to see themselves represented on film. They don't talk about it often enough. Yeah. Uh, finally, a white guy named Andrew. Um, finally on screen. We're we're breaking all sorts of representation. This out. is one who can sweat. He he, do- <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't have like a disease which prevents him from sweating. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that took me a second. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Um, it, it didn't happen in the fog. <laughs> we are talking about Damien Chazelle's 2014 Best Picture nominated Best Supporting Actor winner, um, Whiplash. And Richard has joined us for this discussion. When we got in touch with Richard earlier this year, we asked him what films he'd like to talk about. Uh, he obviously named such classics as Speed 2, Cruise Control, and Requiem for a Dream. But on that list, I noticed, was this movie. And it seemed like this would be a good enough time to talk about it with the release of Chazelle's upcoming Babylon. But why was it on your list? Why did it jump out at you? Why was it a movie you wanted to talk about, Richard? Um, I think unlike Requiem or Speed 2, where I, I felt like there was probably a sufficient amount of time had passed in seeing it that reevaluation could be on the cards, or if not that, at least it was... Uh, they had sufficient like cultural cachet that they would probably merit discussion or have a decent chunk of stuff in them. I just quite like this film, and I just quite like it in like two or three different ways simultaneously that I felt like, yeah, I could I could talk about that for... The modern day's favorite art form of podcasting, but uh, no, no real like grand thesis in this one. Just a film I like, and and it it 
it hadn't been very long since me, since it's been rele- released. So you you were you were like I I it feels like longer than it has been. You though. were you were you were like I don't want perspective. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. No new insights. <laughs> Easy there, Paul Riser. Um, but like this is it. Like Whiplash is a very interesting film to talk about because it's one of those movies that like I get why it is acclaimed. I get why people like it. It comes out. It garners strong reviews. It gets a Best Picture nomination. It is hailed as. A really great film, what is effectively a debut from its director, Damien Chazelle. He had directed a feature-length film, uh, Guy and Madeline Sit on a Park Bench, as his thesis in film school. Um, and basically used that to shop around and to help get him funding to make an actual film. He made an 84-minute black-and-white musical as, like, his graduate project in film school, which gives you a sense of how much a prodigy this guy was. Uh, but Whiplash was effectively kind of his his big debut, his theatrical debut. Um, but it's an interesting film because it seems to have already become, like, a classic of modern cinema. Um, I don't know. I'm going to make an assumption here, and I'm going to guess that Andrew has not looked at the list and doesn't know where this ranks on the list at the moment. I'm also going to assume that maybe Richard doesn't as well. So do we want to play a oh, game? Oh, we're going to play the game? Excellent. And you at home can play too. <laughs> the Kennedy. This is not the usual game because Andrew knows the answer to this because we've talked about every other Damien Chazelle movie that has been on the list. So that gives Andrew an unfair advantage. The right. game here is where do we think this movie ranks in the 250? And we're going to go lowest without going under is probably the best way to describe what we're aiming for here. So don't go higher than it is on the list. But there, whoever gets closest to it. The tra- traditional rules as well is that you you <laughs> you you have to give it like to the nearest 25th. Um uh, <laughs> that, that that's um that for some reason when we've done this before somebody is like 200 and then somebody is like 100. <laughs> it's like 150, that's, 175. That's... Um, okay, okay. I like I like this. Let's make a deal approach here. So, well, listeners, that, you can that, play at home. Take out a pen and paper. That way, you can't say uh, two hundred and then somebody say like uh, one ninety nine. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And immediately undercut you. But I mean, I do feel like there is some like given that there are like two hundred and fifty places on this list. It could be if somebody says like two hundred and somebody says one nine two. I think that's fair game. But because uh, otherwise you're counting twenty five or whatever. But okay, so do you want to do you want to play? Let let let's give Richard first. Yeah, we will give you a choice of of what rules you want to play with too. Is it is it close um, closest without going over? <laughs> this is getting very complicated. I think I'll just say a number and then we can just move okay. on. Uh, One ninety. It's closer to zero, so it's lower or higher up the list. You've given me so. a um a um. A, a better chance now. Okay, let, let, let's just keep going until one of you hits it or goes over it then. Let's keep I'll, this competitive. I'll, I'll go 72. You haven't gone over it, Richard. When you say hasn't gone over it, as in like it's still It's, it's lower, lower than, than 72. Oh. Um, 54. Lower than 54. Ooh, Andrew. how low can you go? Um, there it is. 43. It is lower than 43. Ooh. Richard. Wow, I kind of wouldn't be surprised at this if it happened at the time, but I'm surprised almost a decade later it's so low. Uh, 35. And I'm sorry Andrew takes it, it was 42. Oh, wow. It is one place below Casablanca and one place above The Prestige and two places above The wow. Usual Suspects, a movie we are never going to talk about on this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's a, by the way, Usual Suspects is good. Like It, it the, is. 
Like Kanye is good. I mean, not not <laughs> like a good person or something, but the the the, the music. You know, it's 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 tough. Art and art history, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie about bastards, right? Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much. Not not to jump too far into the question <laughs> we're going to ask later on, but yes, it is very much a movie about art and artists. So the 42nd best movie of all time, which is why I think this is an interesting movie to talk about, released in 2014. Richard, do you remember the first time you saw Whiplash and kind of what your initial response to it was? Um, I do. I know I was excited to see it just because I enjoy J.K. Simmons. The trailer just makes him out to be, as we established, a bastard and just a very, very kind of deadpan, witty, shouty one. Um, so essentially on the basis of just, I like J.K. Simmons and this looks like it's him in a leading role for once, not supporting, I'll watch this, caring very little about music, despite my namesake, uh, and just being completely blown away by it, as it almost feels like an action film in terms of the pacing of it and the editing of it and... I was just completely shocked that the music about drumming could be that intense and interesting and engaging. And like J.K. Simmons is fantastic in it, but he's not necessarily even the best thing in it. Like it's, Ooh. yeah, that's. I think it's a very well constructed film. I mean, he probably is the best thing in it. But you know what okay. I mean? Like it's you could take him out of it, and it would still <laughs> mostly ish work. Yeah, well, I mean, again, this is worth noting. Chazelle to work up like enthusiasm and interest for this because he he had he, obviously he worked on this script. He worked on La La Land around the same time. La La Land was obviously the much bigger investment, given that it was a full scale musical set in Los Angeles. Um, so this was the one that he tried to sell first, and he actually managed to get funding from like and support from a number of different sources. Obviously, this is a Bloomhouse production. It's debatable whether or not this is a horror film. It's somewhat horror adjacent, I would argue, but somewhat outside of the Bloom House house, as it were. Um, and then you also, Jason Reitman worked as producer on this as well. It was Reitman who suggested Simmons, because Reitman had obviously worked with Simmons on a number of other movies, like Up in the Air, Juno, for example, all that sort of stuff. And in order to get financing for this, and I don't know if you've seen this, uh, either Richard or, or Andrew, but um, Chazelle made a short film, a 17-minute short mm-hmm. film that oh, effectively yes, adapted. Oh, yes, I saw it on IMDb. I haven't watched this. Okay. It's on the Blu-ray, so I have watched it. It is indeed. Um, and it's it's like 17 minutes long. It's a straight-up adaptation of the 15 pages from the screenplay. Simmons is in it. And like it's it's amazing to watch it because it's at once completely different from the film in the sense that it's shot in a completely different location, uses completely different lighting, mood, and atmosphere, um, mm. and a different use of space. And obviously a very different character, a very different actor uh, playing the role of Andrew there, because obviously Miles Teller, who had been the first choice, was, I believe, busy filming uh, Allegiant, or possibly Divergent at the time. So he wasn't available. Um, but it's interesting to watch the short film, because like the camera movements are all there. You watch it and you watch the, the the comparable 17 minutes of the feature film and it's the same angles, it's the same shots, it's the same camera movements. It's just fascinating that all this was like in Chazelle's head to start with. But Andrew, do you remember the first time that you saw Whiplash? Um, I feel like it was around the time that it came out. Uh, I'm not sure precisely whether I caught it on telly or whether... Um, no, I probably wouldn't have caught it on telly. Unless it was like a, a, a one of those kind of Christmas movies. Um, I mean, this is a very Christmassy movie. It's got all the things. It's got fathers, sons, reconciliation. But that's the thing. It's like, if a movie is any good, it's like, yeah, let's let's have that as part of our like Christmas slate. Yeah. That's the way it used to be, right? 
I don't know. Yeah, or if, it's still if the that movie way. was high profile as well, if it was a high profile premiere. Yeah. The only difference is I think Whiplash maybe wasn't that high profile. It's famously one of the lowest grossing Best Picture nominees ever. Um, it was the lowest grossing Best Picture nominee the year that it, it that it was kind of nominated as well. Uh, I think it. I think it got a lot of buzz dollars. though. Like, it did. Yeah. That that that's um, people who who are excited about kind of. Sorry, I was going to say people who were excited about movies got excited about this, but it, I mean, it, you know, Fast and the Furious are movies. People get excited <laughs> about them who don't get excited about this. About um, so I guess I guess I I meant something a little more specific, but um, anyway, yeah. along the lines of cinephiles, it, it, it was Oscar fair, I guess, mm-hmm. and that like people who pay attention to 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 that kind of stuff would would have um, been lining up to see this movie. People that watch Oscar races and place bets and that kind of thing. And kind of get very excited about them and all that sort of stuff. I mean, like yeah. that, that's the, the thing about this. It's notably this movie was nominated for, I believe, Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, ironically, because it was an adaptation of a short film, which was itself based on 15 pages of the screenplay for this, uh, which is one of my favorite pieces of Oscar trivia. Uh, also, confusing. I believe Damien Chazelle would go on to be, he was one of the youngest uh, director nominees ever. Uh, at the Oscars for this as well. I believe he was behind like Orson Welles at the age of 26 and John Singleton um, at like the age of 24. Those are the two who pipped him. And he was, I believe, the third youngest best pick, best director winner as well uh, when he eventually won for La La Land as well. So very much a kind of a child prodigy. Um, I remember the first time I saw this because I was at the Irish premiere of this, apparently. Uh, I say apparently because mm. I didn't remember that until I Googled it and saw myself in the photos from the red carpet. <laughs> Um, oh, that's unsettling. That is deeply, <laughs> deeply unsettling. Um, but uh, yeah, so that is that is it. And I remember going to the premiere. I remember the introduction of it. And I remember the introduction of it being J.K. Simmons, as you have never seen him before. And I remember thinking how strange that was, because to an entire generation of audience members, Simmons had basically been, you know, he'd been the neo-Nazi, is it Werner? Is that the guy from Oz? Who like for six seasons is like the primary antagonist. Oh, I actually never watched that. I don't okay, know. But basically, he's the worst human being who ever lived for six consecutive seasons of Oz. And I find, but it- if not that, like my generation would know him as <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson, dad. which is like equally. Oh no, I was gonna say J. Jonah, like, okay. but just a shouty media tycoon who's like constantly threatening <laughs> his staff. So like, it's not that out of the realm possibility. I do think there is a gentleness to, to Jameson. Like, Jameson, like, he does defend <laughs> Peter Parker during that big sequence where he's like, they send the thing via... Sure. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of kind of bluster. It's a comedic performance. I don't think anybody watching the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies is terrified of Jameson. No, I suppose not. <laughs> um, but I, I do think, yeah, it was kind of interesting that, like, as soon as this came out, it's like, basically, Simmons, as you've never seen him before, um, as an actual villain. And I remember being like... I remember Oz um, because I was like a pernickety 20-something-year-old in a cinema who thought yeah, I knew better than the person introducing the movie. Isn't he always uh, doing this kind of to one extent or another? Like, um, obviously, J. Jonah Jameson is a um, like a bit of comic relief, but um, he is an angry, abusive person, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair, fair. But yeah, I just, I, I kind of remember, that's what I remember about the premiere of it. The big introduction that was just like, you have never seen this actor do this before. And me kind of thinking, actually, it's the first thing I ever saw this actor do. Um, okay, but before we jump into the spoiler zone, three questions to get us started. So Richard, mm-hmm. do you think Whiplash 
is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made. And now that we know, do you think it is the 42nd best movie ever made? I I could see the argument for it being one of the best 250 of all time. I don't know if I'd say 42nd greatest film of all time. Um, Better than Casablanca. Yeah, that seems a bit... Tastes vary and whatnot, but that seems a little exaggerated. I mean, it is worse than uh, The Prestige. I will give it that. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I feel like they both work, for me at least, on similar <laughs> levels, actually. It's kind of like a satisfying clockwork construction to both of them. But um, yeah, no, I think it being on the 250 makes sense. Uh, I'm kind of shocked it lasted that long, that it continues to last this long and that high. I guess it sort of speaks to a certain level of movie brat, modern era movie brat letterbox types that clearly still go to bat for it, which is, again, sort of surprising. Well, but I mean, that's the thing. It kind of reminds me a bit of, you, you were on talking about Aronofsky, and it does seem like it has mm. a bit of the same energy. Is that fair to say? I think so, especially what you just said about his grad film being this black and white musical, whereas Aronofsky was a black and white <laughs> existential. That was his grad film too, yeah. wasn't it? Hi. Hi. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there seems like there's some overlap. I mean, like, just to, just to chart this, so the, the highest that Whiplash has been on the list is, like, 37. That was in February 2015, so around the time of the Oscars, when it was nominated for Best Picture, mm. when Simmons won. Uh, it has dropped as low as number 47. Ooh, 47. And has since climbed. Like, it's it's been gradually growing over the past couple of years. So, like, its lowest point was in January 2020, and it, in the years since, it has actually climbed, which is quite remarkable. So it, it I, is growing. It's not hmm. losing any ground. I think I think a, um, IMDb Vulture is like a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, where they're they're kind of like they 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 want a sort of like a young person to create something that's a kind of a a a um, a payan untrammeled creativity, right? Well, I mean, I th- it it is I think in some ways, like, a quintessential kind of 250 movie, in that it is a movie... Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that is, a, a, like, about somebody who is literally driven by the work that they do and is obsessed by it. Like, like I'm scrolling through the 250 and I'm seeing, like, Ron Howard's rush on here yeah. to pick an example. Like, that's the kind of mm-hmm. thing... That's the gentle, kindly Don't tell me to slow that. down. <laughs> or, or, like, or, like, do tell Are you me rushing to slow or, down. Yeah. Are you, was I rushing or dragging, Daniel Brulas? I was not rushing or dragging. Um... You, I was going at precisely the right speed. I love that movie. I, I do Daniel love. Daniel Brühl was incredible. I, I am a big like. I'm a big fan. We're not going to go down the Howard rabbit hole, but like, no, no, no. Like Le Mans '66 or Ford versus Ferrari is on there as well. That has, I would argue, a kind of similar vibe to it. Yeah, you know, like there, there's a lot Solo. of these movies about. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> of, of course, na- naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, IMDb, 250 stable, Solo. <laughs> Have we already but, discussed Solo, or are we... No, um, no. no. Well, I, I don't know when this is coming out, is the question. That's the thing. But I suspect we have not yet discovered or discussed kind of Solo. But yeah, basically, yeah, well, that kind of thing you've discussed where, like, there's this fascination with movies that are about intensely driven creative people, often made by intensely driven creative people as well. So in that sense, I can kind of see Whiplash being like one of the better examples of it. And probably, to be honest, one of the better examples released within the lifetime of people on who are making this list, where it's like, sure, you can put, you know, uh, some sort of like 70s movie on there, but... This was released in my lifetime. I remember going to the cinema to see it as an adult. And I remember it kind of connecting with me and it being like one of those movies that they used to make. So it, it does feel like yeah. a very 
250 this trying to move and it's it's very much a movie for people in their 30s because you and i darren i think we were raised to believe that we would do something like um you know the um uh, to be rock gods and movie stars andrew exactly yeah 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 and 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 that like to to aspire for anything less than that is kind of like you know, unimaginative or uncreative or something like that, and that, and that there's a kind of a um, you know that 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 when one gets into their adulthood, you you almost kind of fi- uh, find oneself embarrassed to talk about one's day job. It's like yeah. no, no, no. I, I, I um, what I what I what I what I really love is my stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? No, I can kind of see that. And again, like it's it's interesting that we're f- releasing this after having done a season of Brad Bird movies, which are again movies by a very obsessive, perfectionist-driven person who, from his childhood, knew what he wanted to be and was willing to commit to that no matter what the cost <laughs> would be. And many of his movies are about uncompromising individuals who are committed to doing what they were designed to do or intended to do the best of their ability. So yeah, I think like I think this is a movie that is like perfectly suited to the list it feels it does feel appropriate that this is in the top 50 uh even though it's arguably like one of the more modern movies in the top 50 i'm just kind of running through mm. parasite is at 34 that's the that's more recent birdman there sorry is birdman there uh, no birdman has dropped off the 250 okay that was and that was another best picture that year as well but yeah like so in the top two in the top 50 it's literally the only more recent movie in there is Parasite. The artist. Uh, the artist is gone. Artist is gone. Wow. Yeah. No, Whiplash really had a very strong staying power. Like La La Land is gone as well. La La Land came in and it disappeared as well. La La Land's gone. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and it disappeared quite quickly. It came in very high. Uh, it peaked very high. It did. It it peaked around like twenty two. So it peaked higher than this. And then just dropped off almost, uh, almost you know, within the space of a year. Do you think part of that is that Whiplash is very quotable and it's very sweary and people still like to reference it? Whereas La La Land, apart from maybe the songs, remember some people, it's not a film people quote a whole lot. Careful, Ditto Richard. The artist kind of can't quite do that. Careful, Richard. I've been co-hosting on. a podcast <laughs> with Andrew uh, for at this stage, I think six years. And I've learned that there are some fault lines you don't cross. <laughs> no, Ra- don't, Ra- you don't. Don't mind <laughs> Richard. Richard is right. The songs are quite memorable from La La La. <laughs> he is right about. That. Oh, I can't. I can't remember them. I just like people that like musicals yeah, probably can remember them. Is <laughs> <laughs> what is what what we're saying here. I I do think there is maybe could name a single one. <laughs> it's, it's okay, Richard. I you won't tell him. You wouldn't um, want to just name one. I understand. Yeah, you want to name yeah. all of them. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's too many. To I mean, we'd be here. From. We'd be here all night if Richard started talking mm-hmm. about the songs from La La Land. Okay. Um, I'm just doing spoken word renditions every every one of them yeah. Yeah, from memory. Um, I mean, the city of stars. It is shining just for you. Well, someone watched this began, didn't they? Someone in the crowd. Yeah, or maybe this appeals to someone not in heels, or to any girl who feels there's some chance for romance. Okay, anyway. I regret what I've started you, here. You have you. Welcome to the La La Land podcast. Um, but like, I, I do think there is maybe something in the fact that... I do think there is maybe something in the fact that you say it is sweary and you say it's quotable. It is... Just, okay, we'll talk, maybe talk about this when we talk about like what the movie is about and what it's doing. 
I think there's maybe an argument that Whiplash is like a more macho would be maybe the word that I would describe it movie mm. than La La Land is <laughs> in some way, shapes or forms. Um, and perhaps it is in that sense more of a conventional 250 movie as well in that there is like one semi-prominent female character and she is very promptly written out uh, like within half an hour of the movie starting. Um, and it becomes this very masculine space very, very quickly. And I think there's a lot to talk about and unpack there uh, when we get into the Splatter Zone. I do think that maybe that may be a contributing factor. It is a very 250 movie in that sense. Mm -hmm. But Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this movie belongs on the 250? The 250 best movies of all time? Um, I mean, you know how I feel about Lala. <laughs> <laughs> do I? <laughs> I, 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 um, I, I think that's... This is a better telling of that story of the kind of uncompromising creative person who wants something and um, you follow them kind of or um, achieving it. Whereas La, 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 La La Land is much more of a love story. Yeah. It's also a story about, well, actually, sorry, we're not going to go into spoilers, but it's, it's similar it's similar it it um it might have a similar love story in some senses but doesn't really um uh, uh pursue it or do much with it and i i i think um that is um it's a very short movie and i think perhaps a longer movie would have been about this person wanting to be a drummer and it would have been about and it would have been a love story but this isn't um, really, and kind of, I, uh, well, I think, I, 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 I mean, to, I mean, not, not, yeah. not to get, not to get too spoiler, not to talk right. about La La Land, but I did like again, as Richard said, I did, I think what he called the Aronofsky thing, which is I watched all of Chazelle's movies basically back to back from beginning to end, starting with uh, is it Guy and Madeline sit on a park mm -hmm. bench, which is a film that exists, um, it's not good. But Ten it, Cloverfield Lane. Did you watch that one too, or does that not count? He didn't direct it. I rewatch. No, I, I also, I also didn't count. I didn't watch the Last Exorcism <laughs> too. Thank you very much, Richard. I wanted to watch Grand Piano, which is phone booth on a piano. I want to see that one too. Yeah, I, I, I it. remember it's like a fantastic bad movie. Andrew, are you familiar with Grand Piano? Um, no, I'm not. Think of it as like La La Land meets Speed. Oh, okay. So basically, the premise of Grand Piano is without getting into spoilers, Elijah Wood is a concert pianist who has lost all love of his art form. He's become a hack who phones it in, he just does concerts, he hasn't produced any new material, he has no love or passion for what he does anymore. However, one concert, he sits down, he discovers a strange earpiece, he puts it in. It's John Cusack. John Cusack is watching him with a sniper <laughs> rifle, and if he misses one single note during this grand piano recital, he will not only kill Elijah Wood, he will kill the one person in the world that Elijah Wood cares about. So Elijah Wood, while performing a piano recital with a sniper staring down the barrel of the gun behind him, has to figure out who this guy is, what he wants, and how to stop him. And it is exactly John as... Cusack. John Cusack. Yes, I, that's he, a spoiler. Can he recognize it from the sound? <laughs> that, is, that is very fair. He does have a very distinctive voice. Um, sounds like John Cusack. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it is It is terrible and brilliant and I love it so much. It is basically La La Land meets Phone Booth. Um, but uh, yeah, so no, Richard, I did sounds not... Sounds great. I, but did, does he kill um, uh, uh, Bilbo Baggins? 
Uh, or no, not Bilbo Baggins. Frodo. No, that is Elijah. Uh, Frodo is yeah, Fro- Frodo Baggins. Frodo Baggins. I mean, that would be a key detail. I'd hate to to spoil it for you. You know. Well, you're allowed to spoil the films we aren't talking about. Surely is that? <laughs> no, that's no, the spoiler zone. The spoiler, spoiler, spoiler zone. Is spoiler zone for all spoiler movies. Zone for all movies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, until I mean, we get there, there has to be some measure of. Suspense. You think I know these rules by now? I've been on this several times, but here we are. <laughs> I don't read the pamphlet ahead of time. I know. I'm just glad we could reach a chord about this. Yeah. Um, we do send an entire document over to Guest House. We expect you to sign and return. Very it's very long. long. You do have to sign and date it. It's notarized. Um, and for myself, um, I don't we give, know. And then we replace it with a, with a new document when you sit down to do the, the podcast. Give you the earpiece like, oh, and that yeah, yeah. sniper rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we expect you to have strong opinions on The Last Exorcism too. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, those were all very much, Shazella said, those were, he came to Hollywood and he needed to pay his bills and he needed to pay them quickly. So he took those screenwriting jobs. They weren't... And I think like 10 Cloverfield Lane is fantastic and Grand Piano is as good a movie as that concept could possibly lead to. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. They weren't ones for the ones who dream or uh, <laughs> fo- foolish as that may seem. Uh... That nice... Um, no, he's he's thinking more of a shared universe kind of guy. He's 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 got great world building skills. Um, but anyway, so for myself, I don't know. I mean, this is the thing that makes me. I'm kind of curious about this. I get why this movie resonates. I get that this movie is almost universally beloved. I think it's remarkable that a movie that costs this little looks this good. I think it is spectacularly made. I think it's thrilling to watch. But part of me is also like. I don't know that there's a qualitative difference between this and La La Land or First Man. And I know that of those three, I like this one least. But that's getting into the next question Hmm. we're going to ask. But I accept that that's just me personally. Um, First Man really didn't get a lot of love, did it? Well, First Man didn't have enough flags, Andrew. That was its problem. (laughs) And it was Hmm. also kind of like a lot of people made fun of the... um, Was it... um, was it what's her name? Um, Claire Foy's. You're just boys. Claire Foy. Um, being, Talking about the, boys. The 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 kind of um, wife of the story. Character. You know where 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 it was kind of like. Um, I haven't seen it, but I, I, I like a lot of the jokes. <laughs> I think were just were were there, were there were there was a lot of focus on flags first of all. And I, I like like a lot of things when when it start when when uh, when a culture war starts about a movie, it will either it'll be guaranteed either to have too many flags for <laughs> some people or not enough flags for others. So uh, miniature American flags yeah, for others. No, no one will be pleased. And 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 I think the joke uh, that I saw a lot about it. Was um, just 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 how like you know this this is my kind of Oscar uh, scene. Um, it's where and it's it's all like all this stuff about like uh, being just like a wife or a mother or like any any anything so long as it's not a character. Well, I mean, again, like it's 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 a very much like a whiplash type move. Masculinity is very much a fixation for Giselle. Right. La La Land is, I think, the exception in that that's the one that is arguably a two hander. And even then, there was a lot of discussion about Mia, which we are not getting into right now. I'm no, putting no. down. I'm putting putting <laughs> put, putting putting it down. It. Simply, we're not, not doing, doing it. it. 
not doing it. But like Chazelle's big thing is masculinity. Um, and so I think that you can trace a clear line that goes from this through La La Land into First Man. Uh, and we'll talk about that when we get the spoiler zone. But just, yeah, I, I don't know that this is much better than those. I think it's maybe more impressive because it comes first, because it has a lower budget, and because it has a performance as powerful as Simmons at its core. But part of me is also kind of skeptical and is like, is this just on the list because Can I... it's the most... Oh, sorry, sorry. I hate using the word bro-y because I like the movie and I think it's good, <laughs> but it's the most bro-y of the set. Is that is that fair to say, Richard? I think so, because I... No, I, I also love this movie, but I think that's... Because uh, I hadn't really, until the rewatch, really fully grappled with just how, as you're saying, bro it is. And I think La La Land obviously would be significantly quote-unquote gayer than this just because it's a musical. And First Man, I think, is too quote-unquote intellectual to be bro <laughs> Even though like, it's yeah. obviously not, but it's it's set in the past and therefore it's one of those thinking films people don't like to associate sure. with. I, um, so this is more accessible and bro yes, which feels really disgusting to label it, but you're not wrong. No, I, I, but I, and I say that, I, I think the film is great and I really like yeah, it a lot. I'm not, it's, I, but I do think that like part of me, part of my brain is like, is that why this is there and those two aren't kind of thing? Because it's the Joker, but jazz. Okay, sorry, Joker, sorry. but jazz. But it's it's jazzer. It, the 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 reason we're kind of like you know have have this like minor revulsion to this movie is because like it's perfectly cast Miles Teller, and I think he's very yes. very yeah. I think really he, he's very very good in this. Yes, and and he and that he, he is he's perfect for us, and. It's because it's like like pe- people who are embarrassed about liking this movie are the same kind of people who say like, "Oh, are you off to watch the sports ball?" Um, and, and it's okay <laughs> if we are those people. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think Andrew means it's okay if you two are those people. Um, to myself and Richard. No, but I get it. I do because I've like, used the word sports ball. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a, not too proud. Of it. <laughs> No, no, but I like I I I understand like that they be be because like I didn't fit in with like jocks in school either, but I was a jock, so <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so the it, it 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 was it was kind of like I I I, I was I was a cast who played in a lot of um, different guards. Andrew is our philosopher uh, on the podcast. Sorry, I was going to say yeah. Speaking of the small seller, I think that's the biggest difference between the short and this is yes. the I forget his name. The guy that played Young Neil. Simmons. He was, a, he was another Simmons. He was Justin. He was Simmons, a, I yeah. think. Johnny Simmons maybe something like that anyway like he's uh, Johnny Simmons he's right. so much more passive than Miles Teller and he just he has an innate kind of likability that Miles Teller just will never ever have even before the, the stuff came out yes it does seem like he's a puppy dog yeah like he seems like he, like it's Simmons kicking a puppy dog for 17 minutes which is fine but like I think yeah. the movie itself has a more interesting dynamic because Teller isn't a puppy dog no he's mm-hmm. not because they're both kind of awful yeah oh yeah well, that was one of the big notes. And it, that, it wonderfully so, yeah. I think. That was one of the big notes that Chazelle kept getting was you need to make like you need to make Andrew likable. You need to make the character, your protagonist, likable, and you need to make Fletcher obviously by comparison more of a villain. Mm. And he's like, I don't want. That's the entire point of the movie. <laughs> um, and they eventually like that's they worked on the maths, and it's like literally for three million dollars for three point three million dollars, I can make the movie that I want to make. 
Uh, and famously, like, this was shot around Teller's schedule because obviously he was doing Divergent. I think he had to go film the something else afterwards. Um, and basically they had, like, 19 Too days. many young lives have been ruined by Divergent. It's the fashion drug <laughs> of the future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least no one died, yeah. just to know. Poor, poor Cheyenne and Woody, uh, Woody and her career. Yeah. Um, but, like, because remember when she was in, like, The Descendants, and it's like, this is a great young talent. And then it's like, mm. oh, but it's too late. She's signed on to the Divergent <laughs> franchise. But, like, that they had, I think, 19 days to shoot this. Uh, which was in- they shot it in 17, yeah, which yeah. is absolutely insane. 17, Crazy. including a car crash, both in yeah. the movie and in real life. But we'll come <laughs> back to that when we get to the spoiler zone. Um, it's remarkable. It is a remarkable accomplishment. Um, but Richard then, so would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite movies? I feel like, yes, just in the sense that I kind of make a difference between favourite and best. And I think favourite tends to skew more towards things that are quite rewatchable. I think this is very rewatchable. It's just... Like we said, it's just very thrilling. It's just very satisfyingly constructed. I could throw it on, I think, once a week and not get bored of it. So I think, yeah, I probably would end up on a 250 of favourite films, I think. Yeah. Okay. Would this be your favourite of Chazelle's films? Like, even just uh, from men? Of the three films, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you you don't think that Guy and Madeline sit on a park bench is a masterpiece? <laughs> Sorry. I haven't seen that one, I'm afraid. It's... I didn't know it existed until last night. Check Wikipedia. Cassavetes meets Goddard as a musical. Um... Oh, that's not encouraging me to watch it, but... <laughs> no, it's like every indie American film thrown into a blender and, like, La La Land, no. like, as a chaser. Anyway, sorry, Richard. I, feel, I, feel, I was I like... I was like, well, No, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I feel like Babylon looks quite good, and I think as well it won't be uh, prey to the kind of criticism that La La Land got, because it looks like ah. it's proper gritty. You know? <laughs> I, that, it like, looks like it's a pro film. It's a dark movie that <laughs> like serious people I, can enjoy, I, you know? It it does also look like it's three hours and eight minutes long. Um it's also <laughs> the other thing for it. And I had like it, it it's it there is Twitter brain out there about the awards contenders. The like the whole Lydia Tar is too unlikable criticism of Tar and the the word which we can say now on the podcast, the word fuck, uh didn't exist in the nineteen twenties. I've had people in my mentions being like they're swearing. Why are they swearing? And it's the 20s. And it's like, oh, this is where we are now as a culture. Huh. Um, but sorry, Richard, in terms of your Chazelle rankings, um, is this his oh, best work? Yes, I think so. But then again, I'm really not a musicals person. And I hadn't, I don't think I've ever seen musical in the cinema bar La La Land, which I went to just a friend wanted to go see it. I was like, oh, fine. I liked Whiplash. I guess I'll watch this. And I did actually enjoy it well enough with the qualifier as a musical, as just a genre that I'm completely anathema to. I remember getting a secondhand embarrassment watching the trailer for In the Heights. That's the level I just can't watch musicals. Um, First Man, I really struggled with because I really wanted to like it. And everything I read about it before I saw it, like in theory, it sounded like a very perfectly me film. And then the act of watching it, I found quite hard going for some reason. So I don't dislike it, but I just don't. It wasn't as fun as this. I mean, it is a movie that opens like slight spoiler alert. Yeah, slight spoiler alert for Neil Armstrong's life. But it does open with the death of a toddler. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would this be on your own two hundred and fifty favorite movies? I think it might. Yeah, yeah. They, they. Um, I feel. I feel like obviously La 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 would be in 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 um in that. I haven't seen First Man, um, but it 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 certainly like Richard. It certainly sounds like a movie that I'd enjoy. I'm surprised I didn't, I didn't go for it. I I really liked um. Another and an, another movie that came around 
that time was uh, Ad Astra. That was, yeah, so what, 2019, I think, was Ad Astra? Yeah. James Gray? I kind of uh, saw those kind of two movies as like a piece or something, and I Same saw one movie. and I didn't see the other. But I really liked that Astra, and I thought, I, I, I don't know, the reception for First Man, like, shouldn't have put me off. I should make my own mind up about movies, but um, it, I guess it kind of did. Um, and the, 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 um, it would be in the list because it, it, I, I think it's um, like a, a, a really inspirational bad message, um, and I, I, I like stuff like that. Oh, whoops. Am I am I out of the? It's like he himself is in space, and we're just we're getting snippets back and forth. It's it's weird because there was like when we talking about Ad Astra, I was like, wait, is he has he somehow started talking about First Man? So yes, he has started talking about First Man. <laughs> so oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I I was saying no, 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 it's grand. We got from context, but sorry, you were saying. Oh, anyway. I beg your pardon. I was saying I like the movie because it's 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 like a a um, a really inspirational bad message movie, and. Um, <laughs> I like stuff like that because I, I think it's important to have you know perspectives that aren't hackney yeah. and 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 that these kind of uh, film film films ought to be made for for the kind of perspective um, that they give and the power that they could give somebody to kind of <laughs> um, you know obsess because um, I, yeah. I I I think like obsession is something that I. Um, kind of unable to do but kind of wish I could a little bit because I'm, I'm kind of interested in everything um, and I do I do really admire people who can shut everything else out even though I, they, I mean they don't tend to be happier necessarily um, so but <laughs> but they don't have time yeah, to be sadder but they, they, they what should we call it I do I do li- like that kind of um, individualistic movie where it's somebody kind of being like the fullest version of themselves or maybe you could say the narrowest version self-actualization of themselves yeah yeah self-actualization where um, they they are they are becoming their 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 core person, which definitely happens here. <laughs> yeah, and the the, the um, and I I think as well it's 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 quite funny in parts, especially like if you have a kind of a dark um, sense of humor. I I I think it's um, it's also quite sad. There yeah. there 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 is a decent level of pathos um, to it. And it, it's it, it it's certainly like as I've said about something. So I I I I, I think I would I would probably put it in my in my top two fifty, rather than kind of any in the two fifty. Yeah, for myself, I think probably not. I like this movie a lot. I I think I said it already. I like it a bit less than La La Land, and I like it a bit less than First Man. And the reasons for those are purely personal. In that I don't find this a particularly pleasant movie to watch. Um, I like Richard there saying that it's heavily rewatchable and he could watch this every week for a year. And and Andrew's like, it's it's got it's funny, it's got some funny bits in it, and it does have it does have humour in it, to be fair. Yes, yes, we're but, bad people, Darren. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we will talk about this when we get to Spore Zone. Um because this is obviously it's one of the peak uh depiction and endorsement movies. Obviously this mm-hmm. endorses Darren everything. feels like he's one of these namby pamby wimps who gets shouted out of the music class. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I feel like I'm Johnny Simmons rather than Miles Teller, you know? That's that's how I feel. I'm Elmer Fudd. Um, oh no. He asked me, am I off to... <laughs> I'm looking at a Mars bar on the floor here, basically. 
Um, we are happy but, with a Mars I, bar. I, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> um, I am. I have reasonable standards. Yeah. I have good goals. Like, I have achievable goals. I don't want to be Johnny Coltrane or Charlie Bird. Elmer yeah. Fudd guy got got to leave and be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> that was never going to end. What a what a what a terrible waste of time. Now I don't have to listen to that guy anymore. Yeah. I'm free. I feel like yeah, he's, he's like that's the movie I want to follow. The bit where he goes outside and kind of just breathes a little bit. Um, but no, I think it. it I find this uh, again. It, it's it's very well made. It's meticulously produced. It's got two great central performances in it. It is a ratcheting like grab your seat thriller. Uh, I also find it just, like, deeply, profoundly sad and depressing and heartbreaking. Um, and it's not a movie that I find myself eager to revisit. I remember when this came out, um, and this was, like, the big kind of Oscar push. And, and you know, we talked on this podcast before about, like, how Mooney Family Movie Night is how I came to a lot of movies. And my parents encouraging us to watch movies together and all this sort of stuff. And I remember going back to visit around Christmas and, like, doing the whole, let's do all the Oscar nominees stuff. And I remember Whiplash of all things, was the hardest one on my mother's because she was like, doesn't sound like a good time. That was my mom's simple explanation for refusing to watch Whiplash. It's like, hmm. it's it's got J.K. Simmons in it. It's got Miles Terrell. It's been nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars. Like, eh, it doesn't really sound like a good time, Darren. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really a good time, but it's well, a good movie. It's a, it's, a, it's a movie about somebody realizing that... He's wasted his life and his one chance of true love at the age of nineteen. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, I mean, it's so yeah, it, it swings around about. Uh, but yeah, that that so just like personally, this isn't something that I kind of respond to, which is odd because I love. Not, I think not not wasted his life, by the way. But it, it's it's it yeah. it's that sense where I like I feel like oh without without oh, getting too personal. I have notes personal, in the spoiler zone. That like. Yeah, that that you know, you're you're a, you you are a romantic, but not in the sense of like jazz, in the sense of romance. <laughs> um, and and that this movie is kind of like it's somebody who gets what they deserve, kind of in in, in those terms, you know. I'm kind of curious now, though, because the way you're describing it, which was a harder rewatch, this or Requiem for a Dream? Requiem for a Dream, I think, weirdly enough, kind of like glommed on to like Finn cycle thematic stuff about like America at the turn of the millennium that I was like, okay, yeah, this is a... This... I suspect this is going to be your answer. I'm kind of horrified that this is a harder <laughs> yeah, rewatch. This was a harder rewatch. Like, like Requiem for a Dream, I was kind of stealing it... my teeth going into, but I watched it, mm. like, watched it like three times for the podcast just to get a proper grip on it. And it was like... Yeah, this is actually like a really fascinating study of like decadence and the collapse of American identity in the American dream and a perfect representation of where America was at this moment in time. Whereas Whiplash is like a superbly constructed meditation on how, you know, sometimes in order to create something beautiful, you have to break down and destroy an individual and cause untold harm to them and everybody in their circle. And at the end of it, you maybe get a nice performance, I guess, for all that suffering and pain. And I guess it's all... Or, it. or is um, it about that? <laughs> maybe it's yeah, that, I mean, No, no, I, 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 I know, I know, I know, um, I know. Actually, better comparison piece, this and Black Swan, because you obviously love Black Swan. And I find love that quite watchable, I assume. But these yeah. are kind of the... Male female version of the same thing. Black Swan arguably ends bleaker. They are this, they are but... kind of twi- they are twins. 
<laughs> does it? Does it, Richard? We, uh, we, I mean, Whiplash and Requiem for a Dream both have like a sappy wound <laughs> that, 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 that keeps like yeah, kind of you just got to poke. Yeah, yeah, yeah oozes, that, that, that is oozing. They could probably do it like some rest and just laying <laughs> off a little bit, but uh, doesn't. Yeah. But the protagonist is like, no, I want to, I want to take the bandage there's, off and poke it a little bit. Yeah, there's lots of oozing. Miles Teller, Jared Eater, also kind of two of a piece in yeah. modern. I think yeah. how people um, think of them anyway. And Black Swan is is a better. I feel like Richard's just going to keep escalating this until he gets. To I'm like, just, so, I just hadn't thought you did. I assumed you liked this film first of all. No, I, I, I do it, like this. I, I, more, I admire I this. More baffled by how much you found it hard to watch. I admire this. I think. I think again, this is something that is is arguably like deeply personal, where it's like I worry. That, like, this feels like a more achievable dystopia for Darren than something like Requiem for a Dream. Where, like, I know I'm probably not going to end up taking drugs with, like, you know, Jennifer Conley and, and Marlon Wayans and, you know, all this sort of stuff. But on the other hand, I may end up chasing the idea of perfection to a point that is actively harmful to myself and everybody around me. Fair. I can kind of resonate with, like, I can kind of gel with that. I think, like, there was a point when I was a young man where it was like, I think I may not, I'm not going to be like the greatest at whatever I choose to do or whatever, but it's like, I think I have greatness within me or whatever. And it's like, right. I will devote myself to it. And at a point I certainly kind of went, well, actually doing that means shutting out terrible, terrible, like shutting out things that are valuable to me and things that are actually important. And there are things that are more important in my life than pursuing this stuff. And it's like watching Whiplash, it kind of just, takes me I don't want to use the term trigger because that's a very casual use of it but it does take me back yeah. to like being that college student version of myself that was like yeah no I am completely devoted to this thing and I am going to give all of myself to this thing whether this thing is studying law or this thing is I don't know maintaining college institutions or this thing is you know personal relationships and all this sort of stuff it's like I'm going to devote myself entirely to this unreservedly no matter what it costs me in terms of everything else and I think Whiplash just kind of brings me back to, again, it, and being a 19-year-old worried that I basically made a decision that's ruined the rest of my life, as Andrew so succinctly put it. <laughs> and I find myself more interested in, like, I feel like Chazelle, as we mentioned, Chazelle's a very young filmmaker. I think that as he goes on, his films become more reflect more meditative, more contemplative, and perhaps I think more ambiguous. Like, I think this is an ambiguous film. This is a very like this is an ambiguous film when it was when it came out there was a lot of discussion about interpretations of it what it was saying how much it was endorsing or condoning and stuff but I think that like La La Land and First Man are decidedly perhaps less ambiguous would be how I would describe it where I think mm. that like La La Land you know is also about this question of like giving up yourself for your art but I think that you watch La La Land and at the end of it the movie is fairly unambiguous that like giving up that part of yourself for your art is not always the healthiest thing. It might be something you choose to do, but it has a real cost and that cost is acknowledged. And then First Man is like, yeah, if you do that, you are a complete monster who has shut out anybody else in your life and basically decided to go to the moon instead of going to therapy. Well, like First Man is quite literally, man will go to the moon before he goes to therapy. Um, sorry. I think I think it's interesting to think of uh, not a Chise Damien Chazelle movie, but a Wes Anderson movie. I think about you talking about... Um, kind of being in college and uh, like keeping all the keeping societies going. I think of like 
A version of Rushmore where he's also really good at his studies, <laughs> um, and 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 uh, the, the like with with uh, where you're kind of Max Fisher. And, uh, <laughs> um, I, I do Jason appreciate Schwartz, that. I'm not. I'm about to say I'm not. I think it's a compliment to be Jason Schwartzman rather than Miles Teller, and I will take that absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that is kind of, I think, why there's a distance between me and Whiplash. Why I don't necessarily glom to it in a way that a lot of people do. Uh, but okay, so, Rich, sorry, that was a very, very deeply personal unpacked Yeah, I'm sorry for, like, prying that out of you. I didn't know that was there <laughs> below the surface. <laughs> I, I, a deep reservoir. Well, just do, darkness let, beneath let's, the surface. Let's put it this way. Let's go deeper, Darren. Do, 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 do you ever watch the movie and wish that you could have been, that you could have uh, remained that person? You know, do you ever look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's what it takes. Like, I wish I had had the courage to to be that asshole for. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. There's there's a there's a kind of a moment at the end of the towards the end of the film that happens. We're not going to spoil it. But like there's a moment like five minutes or ten minutes before the end. And I'm like that. That is me right there. That is me making a decision in that moment in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the movie continues. And I'm like, no. Um, right, right. But yeah, sorry. So, so that is that is I do I do not ever have that moment. No regrets. <laughs> right, right. No regrets whatsoever. Um cuz I thought Richard... maybe maybe that's why you mightn't enjoy it. Cuz yeah. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> cuz cuz I'm like I'm like Lost stupid Miles Teller living him living my dream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> watching first man watching like Neil Armstrong deal with the death of his toddler by locking himself off from everybody else and going He's got it under control. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, all right. So, Richard, if listeners have not seen Whiplash, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? I feel like moments ago, my answer would have been unambiguously yes. But <laughs> the discussion we've just had, depending on your psychological profile, maybe not. Who knows what it might awaken in you? Um, <laughs> Need to be clear. I'm okay. Thank you very much, Richard. <laughs> no, no, you are okay. You're fine. I'm I now just, worried. I'm, I'm now. Wor- I'm worried. <laughs> not listeners. He's not okay. Um, no, he's. I'm, I'm sweat- he's sweating like Miles Teller here. Um, <laughs> he's dipping his keyboard adult hands in like vats of ice as we speak. Yeah. He appears to be peeling the plasters off. Um, but yes, probably. Um, <laughs> with the slight caveat that yeah, I guess if you feel like you resonate with Darren's mindset, don't. <laughs> Okay. Or under advisement. <laughs> I've, it's weird to be told that I shouldn't have watched the movie for this podcast, effectively. <laughs> um, Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend pausing the podcast and streaming with Flash to a local device? With caveats. So, the... the um, my... This is why I don't talk about personal stuff on the podcast. No, no, no. I'll, hey, listen. <laughs> hey, I'll, 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 I'll say my, my wife said to me, uh, uh, while I was watching the movie, she said um, she kind of like she she likes this movie, or she maybe loves it, but she also really hates it because it's a movie about bastards. Like, and because the the these aren't like it's not like you know um, there are no actual Sith lords, nor are there any um, kind of um, what do you call them. Um, Ring uh, rates, I guess, to to mention rates. other, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I which we will don't. be talking about in the coming weeks on this podcast, yeah. apparently. But, yeah. but there, but there are like terrible bastards, like these single-minded um, people who don't care any about anything but their own 
kind of um, self-actualization and will um, like trample over anybody um, in 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 order to 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 kind of uh, realize their, their dreams they it's solipsistic and they 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 think that they were put on this world to kind of um, to bring greater glory to themselves <laughs> i mean like maybe 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 they're right but um they, they it's um it feels like um there's there there's a lot of kind of poverty in that kind of worldview you know in terms of like the, the sorts of things that it shuts you out from but also the the the, the way you treat other people and the way people kind of like suffer because of you, you know what I mean. So yeah, it it is it. I I I I don't I don't I don't think it's kind of um, I don't think it's wrong to say uh, triggering. I think it can be um, it can sometimes be um, be good for 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 people who feel um, like an in inversion commas um, it triggered to 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 some small extent to expose themselves to some like sorry i'm i'm talking specifically about this movie because it, it it gets you kind of like thinking about things now that that that's up to the viewer obviously to 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 decide but what i will say is that it's very very entertaining the music is terrific it's just so um propulsive the performances are fantastic and yeah, it's it's a real kind of virtuoso um, performance of a movie. Yes, and it's not very long either. It's like an hour and forty-seven yeah. minutes. It breezes by, uh, and, it, and it is, as you said, propulsive. It just like kind of goes it, tick, tick, it, tick, tick, tick. It manages to be very to 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 be a short movie that like it will. Sorry, actually, I I I won't I won't say what I was about to say because it'll probably like reveal too much. But yeah. I mean, like, it, it is worth noting, you mentioned that, like, these bastards actually exist, and they do. Like, the character of Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons in this movie, is modelled on a high school band teacher that Chazelle had. Because Chazelle, obviously himself... He was a drummer. Wanted to be a, yes, he did. He wanted to be a drummer. And then he discovered that he basically, again, had the, the same kind of reaction that, that I did to, to that experience, which is, yeah, no, not, not ever going to do that. Not going to commit to that. And so instead committed to making films, to becoming a filmmaker. But it's kind of interesting that, yeah, this this character is modeled on um, the, the real-life band instructor that Chazelle had at Princeton High School. I believe he passed away in 2003. Um, so, yeah, this is very much, this is a, yeah, a, a bastard who actually exists, the kind of person. And I think I think a lot of people will have met somebody like an Andrew or a Fletcher um, in their own lives, perhaps in some way, shape or form. Um, for myself, or, in terms of or, or have been, yes, um, an Andrew been. or a Fletcher, or or have been kind of like seduced, I guess, into putting yourself first. And I, I, I think I've said on the podcast before, I don't entirely disagree with the perspective of kind of um, of selfishness. I think there are people out there who could um, stand to look after themselves and their own needs. Uh, better than they do but i think generally speaking the real problem in the world is greed and selfishness <laughs> not uh, not selflessness and um we're we're lucky to know people who you know always put other people um 
ahead of themselves and who are like full of kindness uh, like yourself darren uh, but it, um and it, that's not a bad thing it's a good thing i think uh, it's interesting to have a movie like this which gives that the kind of the perspective of a very selfish person because there, it it it's it's it, you know it, it we um yeah the, well anyway sorry you know what i'm trying to say like the, yeah. yeah yeah um, and for myself, actually, I would probably recommend it again with the caveat of it is very intense and it does deal with that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's it's a fantastically made film. Um, it is superbly constructed. I can see how Richard could watch it every week for a year and not get bored of it. Um, I think the performances are mesmerizing in it. I think that just in terms of direction and construction, like, I, again, rewatching all of Chazelle's films, there are very few filmmakers today who understand how to move the camera the way that he does. And it's very obvious in La La Land where, like, I know Richard doesn't like musicals, but rewatching La La Land, having rewatched the the deluge of like musicals recently, Hamilton, uh, In the Heights, uh, Disenchanted, all that sort of stuff. Um, the only musical that moves half as well as La La Land is Spielberg's West Side Story. And it's because they both understand that when you're making a movie musical, you have to make the camera uh, part of the choreography as well. Um, and here there's a strong sense of that as well, where the cutting, the editing, the rhythm of the movie, it has this music musical beat to it that feels very much appropriate for a movie that's about jazz and it has a dynamism which makes a movie that is essentially literally academic in concept in that it takes place entirely in school um but that it manages to make it like genuinely tense genuinely interesting to watch and is, is superbly constructed um so if you're at all interested in film construction and direction i would wholeheartedly recommend whiplash of those terms as well and yeah if you just want a really good thriller um it is you know it is a bloomhouse production it is, to some extent, a horror movie. Um, arguably, a, for apparently for me, a scarier horror movie than most of the other stuff Blue Mass have produced. Yeah, more so for some than more others. More so for some yes. than others, apparently. Um, but yeah, so I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it with that particular mindset. Um, with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! Sorry, Andrew, you went a little bit fast there. Could you try it again? <laughs> Spoiler zone. Not my tempo. <laughs> this this gets funnier the more we do it. <laughs> hey, so Richard, I, no, I'm going to count you in. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so 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 one, two, Richard, three, one, two, three, one. What two, three. is this movie about for you? Darren is waving. He's like apoplectic right now, but I'm just going to carry on. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid to answer. I'm standing in front of a microphone going and a little bit of avant-garde from the rhythm section there. Um, so I'll cue you um, in, Richard. <laughs> what is Whiplash about for you? Uh, I don't really... It's hard to articulate this one because it's it's nothing personal. It's just... it's it, There's something about the type of story it's telling that I desperately want to see in a different genre, if that makes sense. I remember the first time I saw this, and this is what, 2014? So this is before the full proper Marvel takeover yes. of everything. Although actually, like, Chazelle, Chazelle, like, is making jokes about Marvel in, like, his interviews that are yeah. very Scorsese, but we'll come back to those. But I just remember thinking after the ending happened how satisfied I was by it, because I always wanted to see that exact kind of character narrative arc within something more heightened like a like something like a batman movie or a marvel movie where the villain the villain wants to it's sort of like a Rachel ghoul batman dynamic where it's like you are my successor and i must break you and break your your soul and like create a, a me and you 
And seeing that happen, even just true jazz, was very <laughs> satisfying. Because this is an arc, an arc you don't see very often in movies, where the villain kind of wins, but the hero sort of wants to let it happen. <laughs> I, I don't know, I just found that kind of thrilling, and I, I desperately kind of sought that exact feeling again, but in a different genre of film and never found it. Can I, can I ask, um, sorry, can I ask Richard, have you seen Officer and a Gentleman? <laughs> no. <laughs> or have I? I mean, that is that the one that ends with him walking through, carrying her in his uniform. Yeah, exactly. Where we belong. Yeah. I mean, what that that yeah, that, I've seen, I have seen that. That one. was obviously yeah. a point of comparison here. This is also known as Full Metal Juilliard, mm-hmm. um, and like Chazelle has talked about how, like, when he had this film in his head, he couldn't like find any other film that would be a point of comparison until he and I quote here saw Full Metal Jacket for the first time and thought, finally, there's a movie that's about my experiences, <laughs> and it wasn't even a music video, a music movie. Uh, which is kind of interesting. So right. I think El- El- Elmer Fudd like shoots himself in the first <laughs> of, the, yeah, of the they, movie, they, and then they go to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they had to trim they had to trim the sequence uh, where Fletcher finds Elmer Fudd in the bathroom with a Mars bar, I'm guessing, and a trombone. Well, they do they do they do um, like trombone decapitated themselves somehow. They do have um, Sean Casey, I suppose. Yes, is is, is the the kind of standard yeah that's a good point for uh, yeah and they, 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 it's um, it's a point I always make whenever I'm talking about my own resilience or or having been kind of like bullied um, ever is that like sure I came out the other side of it and feel like a strong person but like I could very easily have not you know yeah. they, I'm not I'm not grateful for it. Like like I like the person I am now and part of who I am now is because of all of that stuff. But it also could have destroyed me. Yeah. Like hmm. you're not grateful it didn't enrich you. It didn't you know, it didn't make you stronger, better, wiser or whatever. I think I think it did, but it could also it, it could it it can cut both ways, you know? It it it, it can um like if, if you don't care about the result you know, and 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 you're just like, yeah, maybe I'll kill this person, but maybe, maybe that'll I mean, be a great jazz musician. I mean, Charlie uh, Bird wouldn't have committed suicide. <laughs> That's the big difference here, right? I mean, he wouldn't be dissuaded, um, and by dissuaded, I mean commit suicide because of the harassment that I have targeted him with uh, sustainably. Well, I mean, here's the exactly quote. it's that heartlessness that kind of. Um, yeah, that, 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 um, but it, it Louis Gossett Jr. in an officer and a gentleman. Yeah, g- he uh, gives the same sort of um, Orly Ermy um, treatment to Richard Gere, and there is a kind of a a realization at the end that um, maybe Richard uh, Gere's character has um, proven himself. Um, and and that the 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 poor treatment was intended to to um, help his his uh, character arc, you know, well, from build being a person yeah. who cares about mm-hmm. nothing to being a person who cares about something, you know, who who has now proven himself a a a a good full person, and has come out the other side and rather 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 than like a punk kid. An mm. Armin Tadzarian, if you will. Um, right. But like, 
like the, yeah yeah exactly the quote from Chazelle here which I think and again this is this is just something when he's asked like because what's we'll talk maybe about the ambiguity of the movie and the way in which the movie was received and the debate over depiction and endorsement because this arrived right in the whirlwind of that this was the same year as Gone Girl which is another one of those movies oh, that good. yeah I know we're going to talk about Gone Girl but this is a, again around the same time that you have movies that could be misinterpreted and where you had this big debate and we'll talk about it in the moment about like certain people latching on and saying is this endorsing the idea idea that you know this suffering creates great art and it's worthwhile Chazelle to his to his credit has been like in interviews like from the outset was like look we'll talk about the film itself in a moment but for me personally the answer is no and like he said that like the ending of the movie which I think you kind of alluded to there which is the moment where like Andrew is like at once completely broken and completely triumphant where he goes and he plays and he he proves Fletcher right mm. and he gives Fletcher the performance that Fletcher always knew he was capable of and all it took was like rejecting any sense of love or value in his own life uh, so you know a bargain as they say but like there's the quote where like um, Chazelle's asked about this and he says like look he wanted I believe the quote is the happiest sad end and ending imaginable yeah and his summary is Fletcher will always think he won and Andrew will be a sad, empty shell of a person and will die in his 30s of a drug overdose. Jesus. I have a very dark view of where this goes. And the interviewer says, you should have a postscript at the end of the movie saying, and at 30, he dies of a drug overdose. To which Chazelle responds, that would be great. Right before the credits. Oh, by the way. No, 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 wait. It should be a post-credit thing like the Marvel movies. We cut to his funeral. Poochie and died on the way back to his home planet. We're, we're, we're not finished the anecdote yet. It's his funeral. We cut to his funeral. And Fletcher is there. And he gives the eulogy. That ungrateful fucking brat. That's Chazelle's pitch for the, like, where this movie goes afterwards. Which I find, like, quite, quite striking. Because um, he does, it, it, Chazelle's quite explicit that it's like, no, as somebody who went through this, I, I don't think that this is a good thing. Mm. I am not in any way endorsing the idea that maybe making art is, is worth I, this suffering. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll also say that like people, people who interpret the movie counter to what uh, how Damien Chazelle himself interpreted aren't wrong. Yeah, I think I, I I think like there there's a kind of a there's a bit of a commentary about movies like this um, that like there's a right way to interpret something and then there's a wrong way. Um, you know when 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 like people don't get the satire, for example. But it, it's kind of like you, you can't have your cake and eat it. Like if 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 you're trying to say that like you know um, like uh, fandom is important or like um, interpretation is generative, and it's like no, but don't do that. <laughs> you know, kind of um, like 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 it's all it's all right for 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 people to kind of read too much into a movie so long as we like their take you know that kind of way oh no no like i mean i i think like chazelle himself has said that like the ambiguity was the point like where yeah like he, when he was in the cutting room it felt like we were making a movie that could be read as either a total condemnation of a certain kind of arts education or a celebration of an artist's necessary insanity i purposefully made the behavior on screen as repellent as possible so as to make the film's ending harder to grapple with the saddest happy ending i could imagine 
Um, and like he's he's talked about how it's it's very important to him that it's like that it is ambiguous. Yeah. That it that it is that it you know that it can be seen that he didn't want to make a didactic movie. It's the point you made earlier on, which is the idea of like a moral message that doesn't rely on the portrayal of moral behavior. Where, you know, it's easy to show terrible people's behavior on screen and we'll all just kind of nod and go, isn't that terrible? It's more interesting when you can show terrible behavior in the interest of something good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, 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 I'd agree with that. And again, I'm not endorsing it. But yeah. I, 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 I think it's good for a movie to have that kind of moral complexity. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it with The Incredibles. Again, it's, it's interesting that we're coming right off like Brad Bird. <laughs> another movie that is about another bird mm-hmm. and also about this obsessive perfectionism mm. and the idea that it doesn't matter what you have to do to get what you want. And But I think that there is something interesting in the movie sparking that debate because like a lot of the coverage around the time is, is very much engaged with the ambiguity and the thorniness of it where it leaves the audience with... Because it gives you that perfect performance from Andrew. Andrew gets what he wants and Fletcher gets what he wants and how they get it is terrible. It's a mutual yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but how they get it is terrible. And so you do have this kind of interesting conflict, I think, at play. You know, you do have this thing where there's this... You're getting something that even you as an audience recognize as catharsis. Mm. Where, like, Andrew has wanted this thing this whole movie. Sorry, it's weird talking about a movie with an Andrew protagonist to Andrew. Call him Neiman. You know, it's Neiman. a very dissatisfying yeah. name to say. Yeah. It's just, it feels uh, like you want to bully the word itself, almost. But... <laughs> Neiman. But like you, he—he's basically—he's wanted this. This is the thing that he's been chasing, and he's finally getting it. And it should be a moment of relief. And it is—it's shot triumphantly. Like those whip pans, the shot of like uh, J.K. Simmons waving his fingers in the air, grinning like a stupid idiot. Neiman taking control of like the music in a way that is kind of satisfying as well. Like you watch it, it is like cathartic it is triumphant in some senses and that's kind of what i think makes it brilliant because mm. it, it it doesn't portray it as funereal it doesn't portray it as ethereal but it also you know it also leaves you thinking again paul riser the, the paul riser character the father who's watching on the sidelines as his son's life is destroyed as his son chooses his abuser over his own father um while all this is happening i think that that's it's a bold movie to do that. It's a bold movie to trust audiences to do that. And it's, it's, I like that the movie doesn't unpack all of that. And it lets you as an audience member kind of yeah. sit and stew with that, if that makes sense. Is mm-hmm. that fair? And I think also it's smart in that it, because you, you said you found it like a profoundly sad film. And I understand why. But the reason I think I don't is because like the, the bargain he makes at the end is to like destroy his soul to achieve this. But I think it's arguable if he ever had a soul to start with. Like the depiction <laughs> of him as a character is pretty much from the get-go quite bad. And he just seems like a really shit person. Like the, the thing with the girlfriend I think is very well done in that despite her having maybe, what, five minutes screen time, yeah. she's quite sympathetic. And it's so satisfying. I find it satisfying at least because he's a bad person when he calls near the end yeah. and she doesn't give him an inch. Yeah, I was like, good. She shouldn't. <laughs> what? And then he goes off and destroys himself. Well, that's that's it. Like, because that that moment again, it kind of teases like a happier ending. I actually really like mm. that moment where it's like, like Fletcher has been like Fletcher nominally seems to have been humbled. Like he's given this little speech in there and he's like, I got fired and look. 
what if we embraced each other as equals? And, you know, he takes the drums out. He's drumming again. He likes drumming. He reaches out to the girlfriend. He's like, would you like to come and see me play? And you can imagine a version of this movie that is like, well, look, they all worked it out magically at the end. He earned the respect of Fletcher. He, his best girl was sitting in the front row at the recital and they had pizza afterwards and it all worked itself. I like that the movie's like, no. <laughs> just no. yeah. yeah well it did it, 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 um, it's a it's a Chazelle trope is yeah um, for i think imdb do this thing where they break down kind of directors and like two and a half trademarks minutes. yeah they're trademarks oh, yeah. and um, one of the things that they identified was that the characters who are destined to meet and also like destined to not to end up together that obviously it's 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 it, it's more obvious in La La Land than it yeah. is here, where you literally have the performance where she's there and she still leaves, as opposed to just not going. Well, there's there's they kind of are um, passing each other in the um, like our, mm-hmm. our introduction to her. She doesn't seem like she is a character in the movie. She's just a um, a person working in oh a, you mean in whiplash yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah. sorry yeah yeah going back to whiplash for a second mm. um, <laughs> the movie we are normally talking about yeah nicole <laughs> played by melissa benos who was on glee and is now supergirl mm. one of the things i really like about the movie and i know that this this is going to get in i guess this is a nice segue into talking about like how macho and masculinity and all this kind of stuff plays into it but i like that the movie kind of like it seems to set up nicole as the girlfriend character uh, it seems to like if you're watching this for the first time, you're like, oh, she's going to be a recurring element over the course of the movie. They're going to spark up a relationship. She's going to be like Amy Adams in The Fighter. She's probably going to get scenes where she's like, no, don't do this to yourself. Or why are you doing this to yourself? Mm. But I love that the movie's like, nope, 20 minutes in, he's like, no, I got to cut off all human attachment. And I think Chazelle himself has said, like, you've only seen one date with the two of them and it's awkward and uncomfortable. And like Chazelle's like, even as like the writer and director I don't know if the breakup is the second date. It's entirely possible to me understanding Andrew as a character that he's having this conversation on the second date. And I like that the movie just kind of cuts that off like immediately. It's like, no, this is not what you're getting. Again, kind of like jazz-like where it messes with the rhythms of the, the kind of the story. Well, that it's you think the notes they don't play. <laughs> very good, Andrew. Very, very good, Andrew. And the notes between uh, the notes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, do we want to talk about the then how macho this movie is, or how like obsessed with masculinity? Yeah. I feel like you do. Yeah, like, it, it, <laughs> I feel like I feel like Darren does. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 not that uncomfortable with it. Like, <laughs> the gradual scale, honestly. But 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 uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I beg your pardon. Well, I mean, like again, it's it's just things like the fact that there are no women in the movie apart from Nicole. Mm-hmm. Basically, the fact, and again, this is something we've talked about on the podcast before with regards to the arts in inverted commas, where men who go into quote unquote the arts tend to be very sensitive about their masculinity and tend to either like overperform or hyperperform masculinity to compensate for it. And here you have like there's a dinner scene where Andrew is sitting down with two guys who literally play football. And he's like, no, no, music is dead serious. Music is a dead serious art form. It's objective. Like, there's a moment where they go, isn't it subjective who wins a music competition? Like, no, no, <laughs> it's objective. Entirely objective. I love, I love that line. Um, oh, like if 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 um, if you think it's so um, kind of amateurish, why why don't you come play with us? 
And he's like, oh, four words you guys are never going to hear from the NFL. <laughs> um, and, and then you get the quick aside from his father. He's like, so you hear from Lincoln Center recently, um, which is wonderfully passive aggressive and just under under the voice as well. But like, obviously, you have the idea that, um, you know, his mother is absent um, and the idea that he's got his father, who is this emasculated liberal arts professor. He's mm-hmm. a writer. He's he's impotent. He's a writer who has never written. He's a teacher who can't do. And then you have, in contrast, you have yeah. Terrence. Mother, mother ran away. Yeah. When she figured out he wasn't going to be the next Eugene O'Neill. Um, and then you have, in contrast, you have like J.K. Simmons as like Terrence Fletcher, who is like wearing, he's absurdly masculine he's buff like he's really like and you watch the you watch the short from 2013 and it's very clear that like simmons hit the gym for this it is like he's wearing the same costume he's wearing the same shirt in the short but it's like he doesn't have the same level of definition that he does here and he's talked about how um like arnold he met arnold schwarzenegger after the film came out and schwarzenegger was talking about how much he loved uh the movie and apparently simmons said look well, what did you think of my biceps? And Arnold paused and said, your biceps were okay, but your triceps were very impressive. And that was apparently the feedback that uh, that Simmons got. But you, you do, like, so much of this movie is about, again, all the homophobia that's kind of played into oh, the yeah. way the Fletcher's and language they- is so coded. The misogyny as well. Well, there's yeah. not, there's not well, very much coded homophobia. The misogyny as well. Yeah, yeah. The misogyny as well is kind of like, oh, let's see if you're first chair because you're cute. Oh, I guess it is. Mm. Um, and, Are you going to cry girly tears, I think, as, at one point as well and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. But also the fact that like there's women in that other band that there are. they initially start out in, but there's none in Fletcher's. Yeah. Because I guess they wouldn't survive because they'd be too weak or something to that effect. Well, that's the thing. It's because he, he doesn't value sensitivity hmm. or kind of um, qualities that we make fun of in men and that we believe are feminine. You know? That... Um, yeah, the first place he goes when he's insulting is is when he's insulting his his kind of bandmates is to compare them, as he said, to women or to uh, to get or to suggest that they're gay. I mean, like again, even the thing like where he's coming in the door at nine o'clock and it's like hit the c word and like that's everybody no, tuning, drain the c drain, word uh, milk milk the c word milk sorry milk yes, the c word again <laughs> and it's like that's what well, all they're doing is hitting the c note uh, to synchronize their you know sort of instruments or to tune their instruments and it's like how can we make this as macho and misogynistic as possible even this kind of ambient background detail it's it's very effective because it does create the sense of a space where again it's it's the arts it's traditionally seen as a space that is not macho encoded well, but you have almost this level of overperformance of masculinity mm, to compensate that- sorry andrew that, that, that's what what um, Christian Bale, I think, quite quite kind of revealingly says about acting is the reason that he does like these extreme kind of kind body of transformations things. and things is because he thinks of uh, acting as being this kind of um, a soft thing that real mm. men don't do, and and that that's his his stupid way of kind of justifying it to himself. That like he he's he's a man because he's doing like like hell week to himself, you know. Yeah. 
Like, like this is this is a thing that only a man could do. This is suitably macho or masculine or conventionally yeah, masculine. Yeah, know? yeah, that that is like this is punishing on my body. So like therefore it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not art like one of those kind of um, you know hoity toity artists. It's um, it's like man's art, you know. I mean, yeah, like. I was again. I've been covering so press for like Glass Onion, the the Ryan Johnson well, movie. You, you bleed as well. Yeah, that's it. I mean, like Ed Ed Norton was talking about how like yeah, when we do like Ed Norton, we've reached the point where Ed Norton has like looked back on his career and like reached that reflection on like masculinity and fragile masculinity within it, where he's like, if you think about what we do, we all go to a place when we play dress up. It can feel very kind of weird and and not really hard and kind of anchored. And I'm like, has. Has Ed Norton had an epiphany about, like, his past persona as an actor? And, like, how much of that is tied to the idea of maybe feeling insecure about being a performer who plays, as he acknowledges, dress up in a fancy location? But, yeah, like, I find that aspect of Whiplash fascinating. How much of that is tied to the idea of, yeah, the idea that these are men. And, like, this is a surrogate father story. This is, like, this is very Mm -hmm. Oedipal. It's very, you know, again, Star Wars, all this sort of stuff where, like... Andrew is given a choice between two fathers. He has, you know, the father played by Paul Reiser, who is a good dad by any measure. Like, ignoring the chocolate and popcorn, we don't judge. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has their quirk. But, like, he's sensitive. He listens. He's supportive. He pays attention. He tries to help Andrew when Andrew's in trouble. And then, but Andrew gravitates towards this really strong, projected, masculine kind of figure of, of, Terence, who's like abusive and violent, but is like again more tied up in in more conventionally masculine ideas of like competition and success mm. and the idea of chasing perfection. Like, I don't know. Like Terence talks about like wanting to do this for the art, well, it, it, but he's obsessed with competitions and he's obsessed with winning. Do you know why that is, Darren? It's because he has some of his mother in him. That the the that that person who uh, we are kind of, who Fletcher seems to think ran away when she realized that um, his father wasn't the next Eugene O'Neill. Um, because that that is what Andrew would do. Well, that's it. Because, well, Andrew has that conversation with Nicole. It's like when she, spe- like, I love that she spells it out. She reads the subtext back to him so, where she's like, yeah. Look, because you're so brilliant and I'm so normal and I will never understand mm. your brilliance. You've decided that this is what you're going to do. It's like, yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah. Um, like that, that is exactly what he does. He does to Nicole exactly what he thinks his mother did to his father. Um, which is, yeah, that's a very, very good observation there. He just decides, yeah, she's she's too dull to understand. She's never going to be brilliant herself. So why would he attach himself to her? And why would he invest in her? And yeah, and I guess, yeah, it is, it's an interesting he, he, dynamic. Maybe resents his father for not being good enough for his mother. Um, like, bl- blames, blames his father for not knowing his mother. Yeah. Well, there's that scene, there's that scene when they're having dinner, which is very revealing, like, right before they get into that big stupid argument about football, where the guy who has the two kids who are footballers, like, oh, you overcooked the meal again. Uh, it's like, yeah, mm. you over and, and, like, his father's response is to go, ah, can't help it, or to joke about it. And, like, I think he actually says, look, he just accepts the criticism of it. And that yeah. kind of seems like it's a moment that kind of flips a switch in Andrew, where it's like, okay, I'm not going to take my work being disparaged. I'm not going to take what I've done being belittled or mocked. I'm not going to respond to criticism with good grace. I'm going to respond with a show of force. Um, yeah. But you can see it in, like, that very first scene when they go to the cinema together, and... 
a guy walks behind them and like bonks Paul Reiser on the head with his popcorn and Paul Reiser apologizes to him. Yes. And you can see kind of Andrew just like seethes quietly and it's just, yeah, it's just, just very much, it's, you know, abstract affair. Like it's not that this film is about necessarily like infusing the art with like masculinity so much as just everything in American culture is just so needlessly aggressive and combative <laughs> that even a jazz band has to be full of swearing and homophobia yeah. and misogyny. Just well, for the hell of it, it's just it's, it's grim. Yeah, it's like his his father is a beta cop. <laughs> to use the modern parlance. <laughs> to use the, the modern of the time. To use the lovely modern parlance. <laughs> oh, it truly is the poetry of the ages. And again, yeah. this is a movie released in two thousand four. Like that's what the thing time about it. It's like in. what a time to be alive. <laughs> um, um, but like I. I do, I find, like, again, it, it's oh, kind what of... What does Jordan Peterson think of this film? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that before, yeah. but now it's all... Too, the, now it all read. falls into place. He's like, I think he sees himself as the Fletcher to, um... Mm-hmm. To a lot of people's, a lot of young, suggestible, alt-right individuals, uh, Miles Teller characters. <sighs> do I want to talk a little bit about Miles Teller here? Because I think, I think he's phenomenal here. I think he's mm-hmm. really, really... I, I mean, obviously, Simmons has the showier role. Simmons is really great, but Teller is just... Perfect, yeah. I think, here. This is as good it's, as I've like ever that. seen him. Yeah. Sorry. Very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Richard, you go. Oh, I was disagreeing, really. I hadn't got really much point to follow up with that with. Um, yeah, no, he's very well cast. I remember when he was cast as Reed Richards after this. Oh, that's perfect, because this is kind of a good version of what a good version of that movie might have looked like with that characterization. But uh, yeah, this is maybe the best use of him I can think of in anything, apart from maybe Maverick recently. He was, again, quite well used in a similar role of yeah. Someone you don't really want to like and you don't really like, but you kind of respect to a point, I guess. See, my problem with that movie was that they should have swatched they should have swapped the two roles. It should have been is it uh, what's the other guy Glenn Glenn Powell. They, like mm. they should have like the the guy the arrogant blowhard yeah, who refuses yeah. to accept yeah. any guidance. That's Miles Teller's role. And the likable guy who's maybe the Hangman like, Hangman was unreal. Like it, it was a, a <laughs> scene stealer. I loved that. Yeah, guy. like <laughs> yeah, like like I don't buy like my problem not to not to open up the can of worms on Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> but my problem with Top Gun Maverick is that I don't buy Miles Teller as a human being who has even a modicum of like self-restraint or like uh, any no, self-doubt come on, that is no, any like he he's he 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 plays very well the kind of petulant kind of let 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 me let let me bang bro let me fl- let me fight let me fly you know um, <laughs> like the world has wronged me at every turn therefore I deserve all this like yeah not, I don't know I, I can but, see your argument but I think he was fairly well cast in Maverick but is it is it like the so whole much. thing with, is that like you're holding back because you don't believe in yourself it's like you're holding back you're not pushing uh, yourself yeah. I don't for a moment believe that Miles Teller's ever going to no, that's fair. hang back because he's not pushing himself that's fair and like and like to get to get to the movie's like masculinity the, stuff that's like, what ignoring... he's doing in this movie is he's hanging back but not believing himself i i i feel like the two movies were quite were 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 similar in some senses in how they i i and and as well i think the problem with miles teller is that there aren't enough good miles teller uh, vehicles yeah. i think he 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 could have quite a good career if they do for Miles Teller what they did for like Tom Cruise in terms Where they of just ma- build vehicles around him. Yeah, making lots of movies that kind of suit his his particular type of um of of, of charisma. Instead of I guess um like I've seen uh, uh, advertised kind of romantic comedies and that 
where he's going to be that like awkward the, moment, the cute oh. kind of. Uh, <laughs> Richard is is actually like shaking at the prospect of watching that awkward moment. A, Michael B. Jordan come with smiles to no, no, yeah. no, no, no. No, I have no interest. Michael B. Jordan and Emojin Poots. That's uh, that's fine. Uh, that would be quite um, good. Miles Teller, romantic, yeah. no. But no. also with Miles Teller. No. Like Michael B. Jordan is ruined in 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 a kind of a Mike uh, in a Miles Teller movie because it, it like <laughs> I I I really I really believe in Michael K. Jordan's kind of um, Michael B. Jordan. Sorry, sorry Michael. B., I, I beg your pardon. I was you mixing heard of Michael, up. K. Williams, Michael K. Williams. Williams. Michael B. Jordan. My, Michael B. Jordan in Apollo Creed is yes. like a kind of a. Is a, a, a Miles Teller type Miles character, Teller character yeah. but one that you can actually want to get the girl, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One who you can and, feel like he can find a partner whose life won't be destroyed by being paired with him. Yeah, yeah. Where where you want that for him, and I think that's part and of the... And for her. And for and for her, and 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 that that's part of the the um, specific kind of charm that Michael B. Jordan has, um, and has always had. Um, and 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 with uh, with Miles Teller, there's there's just a different energy, and I I I I I think he's good, but but I but I think he he doesn't work in a, in 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 a lot of other roles, like that moment in the movie. Where um it, it <laughs> where 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 this the smile on Neiman's face when Connolly messes up, yeah, uh, is is just so um like perfectly measured, and um it's stuff like that, the like smile on his face when when at the end as well when 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 he's finally kind of like got the acknowledgement of of, yeah. of Fletcher. And taking control from Fletcher as well. Yeah, and he's getting a, he's getting he, he's getting his kicks because he he's he's you know, like being a, a a brat, you know, and he's he's kind of like I showed you, I showed you all. Um, do you know actually who's who 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 can who who he reminds me a bit of, but I've never really liked him in anything. Is um, oh gosh. He 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 he's he's been accused of ruin ruining all of um, the franchises that um, are, were beloved in our childhood. Ryan Reynolds. No, oh, okay. um, uh, I'm talking like Transformers. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like Shia LaBeouf has a similar sort of um, an energy. Energy. Although I I I some I, are less likable though. Pardon me. Somehow even less likable though. I'd agree. I'd, I'd agree. And seemingly, um, I think Shia LaBeouf has done a movie recently where he's kind of like looked at kind of why is he the way he is and that it's very kind of uh, reflective. Honey Boy. Oh, Honey Boy. But, but it, it, the, hold on, I've, hold on, hold on. And we, Before we talk about that, we need to acknowledge one important thing about Honey Boy, which was presented as an autobiographical study of Shia LaBeouf's childhood that explains how awful Shia LaBeouf is by reference to his abusive father. And that important detail to clarify just up front is that his father was never abusive. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Because I, 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 I heard some positive uh, things said about that. And I'm like, maybe oh, it's I'll... A great, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. But maybe, then, it, maybe, then... Maybe I'll change my mind about Shia LaBeouf. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like uh, big Shia LaBeouf energy, but more 
more charming and I want to see him in things used well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing where, like, the Shia LaBeouf stuff is, like, all the terrible stuff you've heard about Shia LaBeouf off screen, which is awful and, like, actual crimes and stuff. Whereas the awful stuff that you hear about Miles Teller off screen is that he's just, like, a little bit unpleasant to work with and is very yeah. demanding. Like, there's the story that, like, Seems apparently, uncompromising. Like, Un- that that's a very polite way of phrasing it yes um like the story that like simmons so according to chazelle simmons was a lifesaver on this movie where like as soon as the camera would yell cut he'd be incredibly charming and incredibly pleasant to the staff to like all the actors notably a lot of the supporting cast are actual musicians and, inc- and several of them actually are chazelle's classmates uh, who appeared in the whiplash short in fact actually chazelle's classmates were like oh so you're writing the story about mr x it's like yeah i'm writing about mr x that's what this is between scenes obviously simmons would lighten up but in scenes those actors would have or those performers would have reactions to simmons that were very real and were very like oh my god this man is terrifying what simmons says is that sequence where he was where he gets in really close during the, the first sequence that he has with andrew where he throws the chair uh, the rushing or dragging sequence which according to chazelle chazelle didn't know that that was going to become mimetic that was just something that actually literally happened to him um, it's like, that was my big fear as a drummer was that I had this moment and that it would happen again. But the sequence at the end where he leans in and he slaps um, in the face a couple of times, apparently um, a couple of times they did like pretend slaps or whatever. And then Teller was like, no, no, I want you to slap me for real. So we get a reaction. And Chazelle's like, you can see some of the red on his cheek during that sequence. But Simmons is like, yeah, the moment that Chazelle yelled cut on that scene, Teller, Teller got really up in my face, stood up really tall and was like, I'm a half inch taller than you. That was apparently the quote that came from Teller at the end of that sequence when they when they yelled cut, mm. which is fascinating because it, it again kind of weirdly plays back into that whole idea of like masculinity and assertiveness. It's like I'm playing this vulnerable moment where I have to cry on screen and be berated and abused by a fellow actor. But at the end of it, I'm going to make sure that he knows that I am a half inch taller than him, just so we're clear, which is interesting. But I, I do think I don't think he's ever been as well used as he is here, and I do think that Andrew has a point where they don't they don't make vehicles for him any. Like, I feel like if he had been around during the seventies, mm. Teller would have a very different career. I feel like they don't make movies that really play to his strengths anymore. I feel like when you put him in franchise stuff, you um, either lose what makes Teller an interesting performer, <laughs> or you end up with something that is a train wreck like Fan Stick. Which feels like a movie that is in some way geared towards Teller's sensibility, but has also mm. been cut to ribbons by a studio that doesn't want anything that resembles a Teller movie in any way, shape, or form. But it's bizarre to think that he was originally La La Land's written for him. Like, I really can't picture the version of La La Land that featured, like, Emma Watson, fine, instead of Emma Stone, but I really cannot picture Miles Teller in that movie. Like, Gosling just, <laughs> he's just innately likable, whereas Teller, as we said, like, it's he's quite watchable and quite charismatic in his own way, but in a sort of, I don't like this person and I hope he gets <laughs> injured in some way. I just can't picture La La Land with that oh, yeah. energy to it. I think, I th- yeah, it's weird because La La Land would be a very different movie. I think like, it, 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 unfortunately, Damien Chazelle is not the Werner Herzog to uh, Miles Teller's Klaus Kinski. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, nope. like, and that, and that's <laughs> what, yeah, sure, <laughs> and that's what Miles Teller needs, I guess. And to be clear as well, like Miles uh, Klaus Kinsey was not just a bad person on set; he was also <laughs> a bad person. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not impugning Miles Teller with anything more than being yeah. kind of because uh, let's face it. I mean, let's not glorify the idea 
of the the artist being kind of mad or being difficult or or any of those sorts yeah. of things but let's also f- uh, the um draw say, a clear line say, between that and actual abusive y- behavior yeah yeah mm. but did and and but but to also say that a lot of a lot of great artists are you know that that a lot of great writers are not great dads you know or mothers or um like uh, they they don't there is only so much time in the day and sometimes people prioritize like their own greatness ahead of um the lives of others i mean andrew the two worst words in the english language are good job <laughs> exactly yeah uh, just on the miles teller thing because it did really seem like for a moment that he was going to be like again the robert de niro to uh mm. chazelle's kind of scorsese or to the to shira Mifune to his akira kurosawa or whatever um but the idea was that yeah it was originally written for him and then there's conflicting accounts about what exactly happened uh the rumor that went around was that and i love this how how incredibly petty this is teller apparently was offered four million dollars for the role but said he wanted six million. And that was apparently why Chazelle said, no, we'll recast the role. Now, for his part, Teller has come back and offered like rebuttals, but incredibly vague rebuttals. I just want to read the whole the whole quote here and see if you guys can make sense you of it. You don't want to get into it, do you? Oh well, let's see let's hear what he said. <laughs> yeah. I'd say things played out in an interesting way. I'd also say it played out much differently than people think. The New York Post or somewhere said I was offered four million to do it and turned it down because I wanted six. I'm pretty sure a talent agency planted that story to try and turn me against my own agent. It was absolutely false. The money side of it was fine. I can 1000% assure you that if there was a part I wanted to play, I would not turn down four million dollars to do it. Here's where it gets weirdly kind of like non-specific. A couple of people know the truth. When that movie was almost falling apart, I stayed attached to it. And I told directors that I really wanted to work with that I couldn't jump ship from La La Land because the project was in flux. I'll go to my grave knowing that when push came to shove, I expressed extreme loyalty to Damien and to that movie. That's all I can say. Which is interesting. Anyway. Hmm. Well, I don't know. It's not interesting if you just say it with like an even tone. You know, you do have this tendency of reading people like a villain. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. Andrew, Andrew there with notes like, Derek, could you try a little levity? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let, okay let, let's take it from the top there. Let's, a little more <laughs> evil. No, not so evil. Take two. A couple of people know the truth that when the movie was almost falling apart, I stayed attached to it and told directors that I really wanted to work with that I couldn't jump shit from La La Land. I am a complete douchebag. <laughs> is, is that is that what? Okay, hold on. Okay. Then. And camera and sound. A couple of people know the truth. When that movie was almost falling apart, I stayed attached to it. No, that makes him sound too that... earnest. <laughs> give me a, give me a, give me a character. Give me a read. <laughs> I mean, it did feel like it editorialized to a point, but I quite like the first one where he sounds like a noir detective that's just talking about some lost, like, lost dame. Yeah. That was good. I do like that one. (laughs) Okay, we'll go back to that one. We'll loop over it. I'll go to my grave knowing that when push came to shove, (laughs) I expressed extreme loyalty to Damien and to that movie. That's all I can say. Anyway. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about Simmons? Uh, I know we've said already that he's brilliant and Fletcher is a character. Fletcher, absolutely fascinating character. Which, do you have any takes on kind of Fletcher or Simmons here? Well, just two brief things, I suppose. One is that when I saw the Blumhouse logo at the start of this, I kind of, I forgot there was a time before they did exclusively horror, basically. And then I couldn't help but look at the opening few shots. Because they kind of work the way the camera does in Halloween, where it's perfectly stationary. The opening shot is a perfectly stationary shot of the drum set way in the distance and Neiman playing it. And as soon as he starts to play, it starts to move in on him like a shark. And then Simmons just appears like Michael Myers and vanishes in the cut as well. I was like, this is, it is kind of a horror movie, I suppose. Um, well, that's and, the big uh, difference between it and the short. Like the short is shot in a room that is like white yeah. and pastel and has open windows with bright light pouring in. Here, it's like you're living in Dracula's castle. It's all mm-hmm. wood panels and like wall lighting. Um, yeah. It's quite warmly lit though, so it kind of somewhat alleviates it. Um, but the other thing I think it's quite fun about him is he's never scarier than when he's faking being nice when yes. he takes Andrew aside outside in the corridor and like asks him about like his mother yeah. and father and what he that's probably his scariest singular moment where he it's puts the hand distra- on the yes. wall yes yes <laughs> it's so threatening in it's non-threateningness I guess it's I don't know part, part of me is like why is Andrew like I know Andrew is an idiot I know mm-hmm. like I accept that but like why is Andrew lulled in because he's had you've had the seed where he's already embarrassed Elmer Foote and then revealed that the reason he embarrassed Elmer Foote was not because he did something wrong but because he didn't know that he didn't do anything wrong Um, and it's like why why is he lulled in by this and again same thing happens kind of later on where he's like look I don't know how you're going to react to this but would you like to maybe play a concert with me after ruining my career even though we're going to pretend that I don't know this even though there's no reason why I would ask you otherwise like, I, f- I find, like, Andrew being drawn into that is as interesting as the way that Fletcher kind of plays it, I think. I also love just how elaborate that petty revenge scheme is. Because <laughs> it's kind of unclear how much, like, he, he must have known Andrew would say yes to it, I suppose. But he couldn't have known he'd see him in the bar. So it's just, was it on the fly? Was this months in the planning? Because it's so, he was willing to, like, tank an entire performance in front of... <laughs> His esteemed colleagues just to get over and it's like this one shithead kid that he didn't like. It's did you very never... petty and very entertaining. Yeah, do has has anyone else here ever had somebody that you wanted to fuck over and done so successfully? <laughs> uh... <laughs> like I, part of part of me is also like that relies again on Andrew not like talking to any of the other band members. Like mm. Andrew just assuming prima facie that this is all going to go perfectly, and he doesn't need to presumably show up to any rehearsals with the rest of the band over the weekend. Well, he doesn't need to like view their notes or anything like that. He just shows up blind on the word that they're going to play "caravan" and "whiplash." Yeah, <laughs> smile on his face. It's just so perfect. Of course he has because because Fletcher has read. Andrew like a book yeah and he knows exactly the he knows what he wants most in the world which is Fletcher's approval which which is the he's going to bring him to this kind of like altar of which he, he's been waiting to receive this sacrament and then he's going to like pull his pants down <laughs> you know <laughs> like I, like one of the things I do I don't want to say like about Fletcher, but admire about the portrayal of Fletcher is that like the movie, I don't, the movie is ambiguous and I like that it's ambiguous. I like that. Like, again, like Gone Girl, this was a time in American cinema where we trusted audiences to deal with big and complex ideas uh, as opposed to like spoon feeling them and letting them know that this thing was bad. But like, I like that even allowing for that ambiguity, 
Like, there's a pettiness and a cruelty to Fletcher that is so entirely unnecessary. That, like, underscores the idea that even if he believes he's doing this for the art, he's really doing it because he kind of gets off on it. Oh, like, yeah. Even little, de- even little details where, like, when he goes to the room to audition, like, from the from the regular orchestra that Andrew starts in, he's like, drums, you're with me. And, like... He does that specifically so he can humiliate the regular drummer who he's never going to see again in front of this crowd of people who he's also never going to see again. But and it's just so petty. That's the thing, though, is is that, like, uh, we mentioned Jared Leto earlier. Like, he is, dedi- <laughs> he is dedicated to his craft. He will put, like, rats and... Um, uh, tampons or whatever in in like uh, people's you know trailers yeah 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 or or, or or whatever his craft requires so long as it's not being a nice person, <laughs> nice person. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you know yeah. but yeah I, I kind of I do love that about Fletcher but sorry was there something else you want to say about Fletcher you said you had two things no I think that was it so, yeah and then this, the, him being nice is scary or anything else like I, I always find the scene that sits the two scenes that sit the, list, sit the least well with me are when he meets that colleague of his with the small child and he's talking and to the small nice. child as a normal human would. And yeah. it doesn't feel like it's subterfuge, but it feels wrong. And then ditto when he shows actual emotion at finding out about that other kid dying. It's like, I guess he has a soul. I guess on some <laughs> level he feels well, the guilt of that death on him, but it still doesn't feel like he should. because He's a kind of pure sociopath almost. It's because we're so used to thinking of people as like either heroes or villains mm. and, and that like people are more complex than those like people who behave terribly they do so for a reason and 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 that like we 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 well, we, that's might, a we, the we might said he was such a nice person kind of thing yeah but they, they they like we 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 mightn't kind of feel that their reasons justified our actions but 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 we also think like tabloids for example they talk a lot about like evil so and so um dies in prison and 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 often it's like a drug dealer or it's somebody who's who's done something worse and it it kind of there there's a there's a dehumanizing of like bad people that that we kind of can start to do reflexively in our own lives you know what i mean when and, and that that kind of um doesn't make us good people. Yeah. Um, I, but uh, yeah, that 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 good people have like um, compassion and kind of understanding for uh, um, uh, villains and that that yeah, and that you also understand that like somebody can can can, I guess be be able to like Richard said, like be, behave like a normal person. It do, it 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 does kind of um, and it adds to the the to the to the perfectly measured kind of ambiguity of the movie. I think. Yeah. Mm. I mean, part of me also wonders, like the 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 bit that doesn't really sit well with me about that is the that seems like it makes sense in terms of because when you're watching it, one of the big questions is how does anybody work with this guy? In like he's. He doesn't seem like he's a great musician. The sequence you see him playing at the bar, he's playing piano, he's competent. Obviously, um, I think Simmons himself has studied music. I think he's a like an actual practicing conductor. Um, Teller had to learn to drum for the role. But like he he Simmons made a choice when he's seen playing piano that like 
Fletcher would be good, but not great, and also, like, wouldn't have any real passion for the actual doing of it. So part of me is, like, when you're watching it, it's like, well, how does anybody tolerate him? And those sequences where you see him being nice... Uh, or, mm. like, interacting like a normal person, reinforce the idea that, yeah, to everybody who isn't his students, it's it's fine. Because he, he's not, he doesn't want anything from them. He doesn't feel the need to assert power over them. He can just be a regular person. And the part that I find interesting is the bit that the school is like, oh, but we are willing to investigate Fletcher over this thing. And it's like, it seems he, watching the movie, those sequences suggest that he covered his tracks reasonably well yeah. in terms of that sort of behavior. Um, not to get all Lydia Tarr on this or, or, or that sort of stuff. But the, I, I think there is something interesting in that dichotomy. The idea, of, I, think, <clears throat> I like that sequence because it it gives you that moment where Andrew is watching him being, it isn't even that he's being nice to the girl. It's that Andrew is watching him being nice to the girl. And so Andrew has yeah. this moment of, oh, maybe he's a big softy underneath. Yeah, it all. May, maybe, 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 maybe I can be that little that girl. Little girl. Yeah, but then the implied threat because he asks, "When you grow up, will you be in my band?" And of course, <laughs> like, "No, please don't do that." To her. Yeah, <laughs> and it, but I think by then he'll have found a couple of Charlie Parkers. It'll be he'll have mellowed out. It's like I produced four or five of them at this stage. It's okay for you to just kill ghost. them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we should note by the way, this isn't actually important, but it is worth noting. The Charlie Parker story that he tells is completely false. It has no basis in reality whatsoever. According to Gene Ramey, who was the bassist playing that evening uh, with Parker and with Jones, apparently what happened was Bird was playing poorly. He was uh, in the second bar on the next chorus. He got ahead of himself. He had the right meter. He had the groove, but he was just a little bit anxious. Uh, Jones kept hitting the bell corners ding, trying to move him into rhythm. Uh, He didn't pick up on it. So apparently Jones responded by taking the symbol off the stand and just throwing it to the ground. He didn't throw it at Bird. He didn't try to murder him. He dropped it to the ground theatrically in order to cue him up. Apparently Bird, like, not only didn't go home and cried himself to sleep, uh, apparently he got back in rhythm and performed reasonably well for the rest of the concert. I just want to congratulate that basis in... um you know, le- letting uh, the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <They're> a good <laughs> story. <laughs> Bird jumped, you know, and then it startled him and he eased out of the solo. Everyone was screaming and laughing the whole place. That's apparently Gene Ramey's version of the story. I don't think it matters. I think, like, I think it makes no. perfect sense that, like, Fletcher believes the version of the yeah. story that he's well, telling. It's the mythology. Like, That's it, it, exactly, yeah. yeah. And the way he repeats it, like, like, like it's... Um, like it's um, gospel, you know? I mean, I do also like that it's a it's a cue. It's like, that's the one true thing that he says during that really creepy sequence. That it's kind of like, it is a seduction sequence. He presses Andrew up against the wall. He puts his hand like there. It is, again, a lot of people have noted, despite all the homophobia, there are quite a, there are some very homoerotic undertones playing through this. Mm-hmm. But like the one truthful thing that he says is that, look, Charlie Parker didn't become Charlie Parker until Jones threw a symbol at his head. And then immediately you have him throwing a chair at Andrew's head. And it's like, that is okay, that is the nub and the truth of the relationship. It's an initiation. Yeah, yeah that that is like, oh my gosh, Jeez, I think he likes me. He threw a chair at me. I, I mean, Charlie Parker only got a symbol. Um, I mean, think of the symbolism at play here. And it was only the first date. <laughs> I can I can I say about the the car crash? Yes. Um, mm. That that car crash. The 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 great truck crash shot. The car tumbling, the airbag inflating, 
smoke um, pouring from the engine in a way that it's not meant to do. Um, in a in a inappropriate, in a, one might even say <laughs> inappropriate. I would say um, uh, Miles Teller getting out of the um, car and going like Fletcher, I'm a mess. Um, inappropriate Robocop. Sorry, <laughs> inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> obligatory Robocop <laughs> reference. Uh, and and food waste. I guess they don't eat all of Jim's cooking because he maybe overcooked a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if he eats that pizza. Because he's having a slice when he arrives at the jazz club, and he kind of looks at. Oh, him when he when like, he goes into he has to, yeah he can't bring food from outside the establishment. This occurred to me too, actually. Yes. <laughs> I wonder does he decide I'm going to push this into my mouth? That's how you know Richard has spent too much time on the podcast. He's like, is he going to finish that pizza slice? Um, and uh, and finally, just just worth noting then as well, because Richard kind of mentioned it does have a bit of a horror movie vibe to it. Again, the idea of and I think like that Chazelle himself is kind of like said this the idea that like andrew's basically going to kill himself drumming like the old fairy tale of the dancer who dances herself to death or edgar Allan poe's the oval portrait where the painter kills his subject by painting her um and the idea of art being something that kills so i I do like that you can kind of it is almost kind of a gothic Mm. romance kind of horror story underneath it all um i think there's something very interesting in that all right then uh richard is there anything else you want to talk about anything that we haven't discussed Um... coming out at you as an entirely arbitrary aside, just occurred to me when you were talking about the car crash again that um, seeing that moment in this film felt like watching uh, like a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible scene, except with a, like a mortal in the in the role. The scene, yes. Miles Teller crawl out of a car and then run to do a drum. Says so like this is a very Tom Cruise moment, but it feels incredibly wrong seeing someone who's not Tom Cruise doing it in a real movie that isn't a Tom oh. Cruise movie. Tom Cruise would have nailed that solo. That's the only difference oh, between those two scenes is that the scenes would have, like, the beats would have played out exactly the same, but at the end mm-hmm. he would have nailed the solo. And for real. He would have learned the drum professionally as well. Yeah. Um, he, while jumping out of a train, out yep. of a plane uh, or something. I mean, you know the famous story about Chazelle getting into a car crash while shooting the movie and ending up with a concussion in hospital and returning to set the next day in one of those great life-imitating art mm-hmm. that is already imitating his life uh, <laughs> stories about this movie. All right, then. I think then that about wraps it up. Then, Andrew, anything else you want to talk about and we haven't discussed already? Anything coming out at you? No, no. I, I, I think that's um, that's it for me. All right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. And sorry, I am both rushing and dragging. Uh, but to give Richard <laughs> a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Andrew, what would you recommend? Um, I'll, I'll recommend a few jazz records. I'll recommend Lee Morgan's Cornbread. It's on Blue Note, I think. I'll also recommend a specific track, which is um, Workin' uh, is the album, uh, as in W-O-R-K-I-N apostrophe, and it's with the Miles Davis Quintet. The first track on that album, it never entered my mind. It's just simply beautiful. Um, I love it. I could play it like every day. Um, sorry, not play it on Spotify. I couldn't play it. I have played the trumpet, but I don't think I could play that. Um, and um, Andrew, ter- Andrew looks up and just sees me standing in the doorway with my arms crossed. <laughs> in, 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 in terms of, um, I'm more of a Coltrane guy than a Miles Davis guy. And um, so you I are re- chasing the train guy, <laughs> and I really like um, the Thelonious Monk Quartet with John Coltrane at Carnegie Hall. It was a it's an incomplete recording, 
and it was lost for years and years. Um, it, it was it was it was found, I think, in the Library of Congress or somewhere in 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 some kind of dusty old room, um, and and released a number of years ago. Um, that's very good. And you mentioned as well, Amy Adams and the Fighter. Um, I'd recommend the Fighter because I saw that lately, and it's this kind of thing. Um, but more a sort of a, um, I mean, it's it's a very obvious comparison to make, but it's it's a it's a real life Rocky story in the sense of like that it's somebody who's kind of pushing, um, is getting a little bit older, and this is their chance um, to 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 be um, a successful boxer. We mentioned Christian Bale earlier on; he's terrific in it. He's phenomenal in it. And like not not again to jump on the cliche of two fifty movies, but the fighter, yes, has also been on the two fifty. Um, yeah. It was yeah. on between January and March two thousand eleven. It's a very two fifty movie. I'm 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 a bit of a like like uh, again, like I, I I I maybe 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 it's wrong in spite of in spite of like ultimately I I don't know Mark Wahlberg. Like he's 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 not some guy from my village that I have to tolerate or whatever. Um, so when when I when I when I when I talk about him, I'll refer to like things that I've heard and say like doesn't seem like a great guy. Um, seems, <laughs> seems like a bad guy. Um, yeah, but I but I but he would have stopped nine eleven. He would have stopped nine eleven. In fairness to him, there would have been blood in first class, possibly his own. I will yeah. say that I'm an apologist for him when it comes to his movies. I think he's good in a lot of stuff, um, and I think the fighter is one of those things. I think he's. I think he's, he's used very well. Like yeah. when he's used very well, he has like a persona that he plays very, very well. Like absolutely, if you can hone in on it. If you can hone in on it and make it work, he can do. He can do a movie like that. He can do comedy very well and stuff like the other guys. The other guys, yeah. Which, but again, playing off that persona kind of thing, I think. Sure. Yeah, but at a certain point, like if if he can do like a a a, a number of. Of 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 things well, I think you have to give him a certain amount of props. As much as kind of people maybe don't um, like the guy, yeah, he, and I, I like him and stuff like The Departed, where again he's like playing that like like you leaning know, into bo- um... yeah the, the the thing of bossing people being the worst people in the world. <laughs> no, no, I don't believe that by the way at all. Um, <laughs> But, but the, that, that, that's that's the kind of the the American kind of um, cliche of you. you um, uh, there was an episode of Human Resources that kind of speaks to that a little bit. Anyway, and of course, La La Land originally set in Boston for the rewrite. Oh, really? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> and they were all assholes. <laughs> well, Miles Teller was in the lead. So. I mean, yeah. it was going to be a Miles Teller. Like, oh, wow. the vibe of that. The vibe, like, there's something having rewatched La La Land. Like, I think La La Land hot take is Chazelle's best movie. Andrew will punch the air when he hears that. Uh, yeah. But I do think that, like, I think a large large part of that works for like Gosling threading a needle where he can be as obsessive and as difficult as Teller is, but he's also like innately charming and has really good comic timing. Which, like, at certain points in his career, he seems actively resentful of. 
Like there was a long time before he did like the nice guys before he did La La Land where it was like, take me seriously as an actor. I'm not a cute kid anymore. But I like that like around La La Land, you see him becoming a bit more comfortable with like mm. humor as a concept. Uh, and he's, he's very, very good at it. Yeah, he is. We should note in terms of boxing movies, uh, not Miles Teller has, of course, made a boxing movie. That's right. Uh, it's called Bleed for This, starring Aaron Eckhart, who shaved his head to play like his sleazy coach, I believe. Um, but Teller apparently approached this like he was filming a boxing movie. He considered this very close to something like Raging Bull. Uh, he calls this his version of Raging Bull, which is not a bad shout, I think. But again, um, is that sort of like enforced masculinity on a, a softer art form thing again? That's a that's a that's a very fair point, I suppose. But uh, like we 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 do that. We 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 make that kind of point. I do appreciate his seriousness. Like he he could he could take to a role like this and say. I uh, was playing this kind of um, drummer and I thought, looked at it and thought, that seems hard. <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. Um, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just act, you know. And, I'll just and act pre- pre- and, and I'll do pre- what J.K. Simmons is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll just pretend. And I, 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 I think... Um, I think... Um, the performance is the better for his commitment as as yeah yeah yeah. that's fair i think that's that's not unfair so richard what would you recommend what are you enjoying at the moment whether related to the movie whether unrelated to the movie uh i always try to be somewhat related to the movie so in recent release it's probably gone it is gone from cinemas now but i'm sure it'll be on vod quite soon uh the new peter strickland movie flux gourmet which is itself a sort of self-destructive pursuit of artistic greatness um Lots of That's two a, over in that movie. Uh, hey, uh, I'm, food for thought. I'm waiting for Valentine's Day. It's a tradition with my wife where we watch a Peter Strickland movie. <laughs> um, I mean, one of his films kind of fits that mold. The rest of them not, <laughs> not so much. Well, we we like what one what what our 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 your second date. Oh, what yeah, was first our first cinema trip? Um, was um to see in fabric. In fabric, yeah. Huh. Not a date movie. I love In Fabric with all my heart, but it's not a date movie. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think you can dress it up that way. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show Uh, what we're... We've reached the end of my notes. I can now pun freely. It's fantastic. I've got no fetters. There were restrictions before this? Well, and I have to concentrate and split my attention. Um, It goes to show what weirdos we are. Um, how we're made for each other. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, Flux Gourmet is. I mean, that's about as much of a plot summary as I can give it. Is just that very brief abstract synopsis because it's probably even more impenetrable than mm, maybe not. I don't know. I think In Fabric might be the high bar for his level of uh, his like impenetrable level of just anti-narrative almost. But um, it's a very funny film. It's a very gross film. Yes. Uh, I hope it's a nice date night movie for the two of you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, all right, yes, and anything uh, else? Uh, I'm on the spot now, so I can't think of a single thing. Uh, Andor is still pretty good, I guess. Keep watching Andor. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I think it has wrapped up this this season. I actually have the two episodes to watch after this, so I'm oh, quite looking forward to you. it. I <laughs> I hope I'm waiting for the oh, George yes, Biggs cameo. Um, <laughs> I sort of on some small level wanted to just like entirely fall apart at the end. I think it would just be kind of funny. Yeah, yeah there's gonna be something where they. Where they just pull the thread and it all unravels. Mm. It's like, this has been a joy to watch to this point. We have to find <laughs> some way of knocking down this house of cards. Um, Absolutely. For, for myself in terms... Sorry, sorry, Andrew. 
No, Misa, Misa, oh. happy for you to continue. <laughs> okay. Um, see, now, if you read Jar Jar Binks' dialogue in a neutral accent, actually, should I have tried quoting Miles Teller in an accent? Would that maybe have been a better thing to do? It's kind of like a war crime, but I, I guess you can try. Fair, fair point. Um, would, would I want to play jazz! Quote? Ma! <laughs> Um, all right. I want to be um, a I'm successful gonna... jazz pianist, Ma. Get out. <laughs> um, I was more thinking reading his interview quotes about like what happened with La La Land, but whatever works. Um, yeah, in terms of recommend- like, you're never going to be a successful actress. You're a whore. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, what I would recommend... Uh, because this is a movie about chasing greatness, about creative partnerships and collaboration and relationships that are built around the idea of the arts. The show that I really like that is back relatively recently is Mythic Quest for its third season, uh, which is, for my money, uh, one of the great treatments of creation as a collaborative process uh, on American television. One of the great sitcoms of the moment, one of Apple TV's uh, better TV shows. Um, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. It is a much lighter show than this. It is uh, much less strenuous about the idea of, like, compromise and violence and brutality as necessary to create great art. It tends to be more lovey-dovey, we'll work through this together by figuring out what each of us is comfortable doing. Um, Which is, you know, kind of, again, quite enjoyable, quite nice score. Uh, Really good cast. It's from the team behind Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I prefer it to Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, but that's perhaps for the same reason that I prefer La La Land to Whiplash. Um, so that would be my recommendation there. All right. So, Richard, where can we find you? What you at? What you up to? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Frontastic. Um, the only thing I think the plug is the podcast I was on with fellow alumni of this podcast, Nal Glynn, his Monday Lorians. Did one of uh, those, you were the uh, Haddonfield boys, right? We were the Haddonfield boys. I don't know how good that episode was, but it was fun to just talk about Halloween for two straight hours on a Star Wars podcast and realize simultaneously that me and Niall both, in hindsight, actually quite liked Halloween Ends, despite not liking it <laughs> in the cinema. But after a week of sitting with <laughs> actually, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I just love the idea of the two of you talking each other into it. Pretty much, because we he asked me for my ranking the day beforehand, and okay. I... I said to him okay i'm pretty sure this is what it is but i'm kind of having second house halloween ends he goes yeah me too and we just kind of had a nice group <laughs> therapy session admitting that we liked halloween ends therapeutic and pleasant and wholesome well myself and andrew may or may not have thoughts about that next year uh, we will figure that stuff out <laughs> i was desperately hoping that the internet hating the film the extent it did as not informing the podcast and including the last jedi special of petitions to remake it yeah i was really hoping it might end up in the bottom 100 imdb just so i could be like begging you to do it but uh alas it did not fall that far okay um all right, we will be back next week. I don't know when this is going out. We we might be doing a lot of solo bolo. So. <laughs> we we may indeed up in the up in the recording studio, the two fifty recording studio. Um, thank you so much, Richard. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.